it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Daniel Bryan. Do you know what I love about our entrance that I, I never really noticed before is the big fist flying through the thing. <laughs> I don't know if you remember the old SmackDown set, but there used to be a giant fist. And I was like, man, SmackDown is really into fisting. What the hell is wrong with you? It's business time, baby. The Solomon Monster sounds off. My client, Brock Lesnar, conquered the street. This doesn't make any sense. Your title belt is made of leather. You're not a real vegan. He's fat. You haven't been beat up properly. Woo! Welcome to episode 474 of the Solomonster Sounds Off. Here it's Roadblock Sunday, December 18, 2016. I am the Solomonster. Final pay-per-view of the year. Thank God. We'll have uh, roadblock predictions here in a second. We'll do those first because there's just a ton of other stuff to get into here. If I don't get into the roadblock stuff now, it's going to be another hour before I do. So we'll talk about that. Plus, I also watched my first TNA show in months. Total non-stop deletion. Finally watched it last night. I've got some thoughts on all that insanity. But first, got to mention this. The nominations are now open for the 2017 Wrestling Radio Awards. You can indeed uh, vote for Solomonster Sounds Off in the category of Show of the Year. There's a whole bunch of categories. If you go to WrestlingRadioAwards.com, I think it's the second line, first one there, you'll see Show of the Year. You can write in Solomonster Sounds Off, full name of the podcast, to nominate us. These are not the actual awards. I guess they're in their nominating Period. For how long, I don't know. It could just be a few more days. It could be another week or two. Uh, in the meantime, you can vote once a day, every day, in each category. Uh, there's a bunch of other ones, including Male Interview of the Year. Uh, I encourage you to write in the interview that I did with Bob Holly earlier this year on the Sound Up. It's up on our YouTube channel, and I, I think I pushed that one out to the feed as well. Uh, got a great response to that. Uh, Bob's a, Bob, Bob was a great guest, and uh, we'll try to get him back on at some point. Uh, but you can write that in and nominate that interview for Male Interview of the Year. So go to WrestlingRadioAwards.com and uh, nominate the sound off again once a day, every day. You can vote. It's a bunch of other categories too. Wrestler of the Year, uh, Broadcast Show of the Year, I guess for shows that are on Sirius and, and whatnot. We're trying to three-peat. So show us some love on WrestlingRadioAwards.com. This would be the uh, third straight year that we have won for Show of the Year if we can pull it off. So go ahead and nominate the sound off. Uh, that is the place to go and do that. Also want to thank everybody who has been taking advantage of our Audible offer. A lot of you have cashed in your free book. A lot of you have cashed in on the death of WCW, which is a great book. Uh, and you can still use our link to sign up for a 30-day trial of the service and get yourself a free wrestling book, non-wrestling book, uh, whatever's available for free for you to cash in once you sign up. It's all yours on us. So audibletrial.com slash Solomonster. That is the link. Uh, we have a couple weeks left here in the year, so take advantage of that here as we wind down 2016. audibletrial.com 
slash Solomonster. Uh, don't forget, we've got a new shirt up on our store on Pro Wrestling Tees, which is a play off of the real vegan quote from Daniel Bryan from our interview that you hear in the intro every single week. So head on over there, and uh, you got that shirt in black and in white, whatever floats your boat. And you can become a PayPal VIP, thesolomonster.com, always the place to go. It's open 24-7, never closes. $10 or more will get you a wrestling nickname and a shout-out. You'll see the PayPal button on the right-hand side. And I also want to mention, you know, by the way, that we are, uh, as we wind down the year here, if you do want to get a shout-out on the final podcast of 2016, uh, this week coming up is the week to get in your donation for the Christmas show, which is coming up next Sunday. That will be the final podcast, I guess, of 2016. So there's still time to uh, get yourself a shout-out here. I want to say thank you to Barry Martin, John Loose Cannon Lopez, Deadpool James Herrera, Chuck Lunatic Lentz, Yvonne Bruiser Balak, Keith the Conqueror Krajnik, Beast Mode Brock Joseph, Out of Control Cody Thomas, Misfit Miguel Mendoza, Tony the Tiger Boylan, Nemesis Nathan Moyers, Hytham the Equalizer Al Nawasser, Judge and Jury, Justin Girardi, The Dark Serpent, Derek Gibbs, Dashing David Vera, Mass Grave, Micah Harshaw, Velvet Revolver, Robert Murray, Clean Living, Chris Ludek, The Montreal Mauler, Patrick Pacheco, The Redneck Rookie, Edward Valenzuela, The Friday Night Delight, Eric Van Dam, Ground and Pound, Paul Montgomery, James the Wall, Malik, and The Vigilante, Thomas Murphy. Thank you very much for all of your support this week. Very much appreciate it, as you know I do every week. Solomonster.com is the place to go for that. And with that, let's get right to Roadblock. Tonight is the pay-per-view, the final pay-per-view, WWE at least, of the year from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Per uh, Dave Meltzer, I saw on his Twitter, the lowest ticket advance for a Raw pay-per-view since the brand split. So that's not good. You can go to WrestleRumble. Dot com. If you want to participate in the uh, Pick'em, every month Wrestle Rumble has a Pick'em for the WWE pay-per-views, Pick'em contest, and I know uh, the winner, first place winner gets 300 bucks. second place is 125 third place is 100 bucks. so you can get your entry forms in before 8pm tonight, WrestleRumble.com. Let's start from the bottom, we'll work our way up to what, uh, you know, I think anyway are going to be the main events and in what order. Uh, Big Cass and Rusev is the pre-show match on the kickoff. Uh, I could see Rusev winning by DQ or or count out. Maybe Enzo comes out. And I, I know I saw Enzo, you know, was part of, I think, the Tribute to the Troops show. I think he was. I didn't watch Tribute to the Troops, but I know he was there. Uh, but he has been off of the main show since Rusev killed him in the hotel room. So I could see this being Enzo's big comeback. He comes out, goes after Rusev, and maybe it just leads to a DQ. Either way, I think Rusev wins this match. Uh, by the way, this is on the kickoff. Sam Roberts will indeed be the celebrity guest on the kickoff panel, uh, continuing their new trend of media personalities and podcasters that they plan on having on the show. And uh, Sam's a good guy, so it'll be cool to see him on there. We have Rich Swan defending the Cruiserweight Championship in a three-way against TJ Perkins and Brian Kendrick. I think Rich Swan retains. Certainly there's no reason to get the belt off him so soon. We have Braun Strowman. Taking on Sami Zayn in a match with a 10-minute time limit. Uh, they have not specifically, unless they put something on WWE.com that I didn't see, I don't think they've really said, okay, this is going to go 10 minutes and Sami just has to last the 10. 
or he's got, uh, you know, is it like pinfall within the first? I don't know exactly what the specifics are. I know there's a 10 minute time limit. That's all I know. Sammy's got to last 10 minutes against this guy. And I think, um, I don't know. I think Braun Strowman's going to win. Not knowing exactly what the, the rules are or anything, but if, if Sammy might come close, maybe go eight or nine minutes and then he'll fall victim to Strowman. I, I don't see Sammy winning. Uh, I mean, I suppose he could just last 10 minutes and win and then get destroyed when it's over. Uh, but I think it'll be a competitive match that in the end, Strowman will win and Sammy will fall short. We've got New Day defending the tag team titles now that they have shattered Demolition's record. They will defend against Sheamus and Cesaro, and I think the time is now. Sheamus and Cesaro need those belts a lot more than New Day does, uh, at least if they're going to keep that team going. I mean, we, we've now seen Sheamus and Cesaro become unwilling partners. They don't like each other. They don't want a team. They have some measure of success, but they're still kind of bickering back and forth. And then they had that coming to Jesus moment in the bar a few weeks ago where they realized, hey, you know, maybe being a tag team ain't so bad. And now they're on the same page. Uh, I thought uh, Cesaro in particular, I mean, I'll talk about it when I talk about Raw in a second, but he had a great showing on Raw last Monday night, even though they lost. And now they're getting another tag team title match. And so they either fall victim to Anderson and Gallo's syndrome or they actually win the championship. It's that simple. And I think the time is now, and I, I think they will. I think we're going to see new champs tonight. Seth Rollins takes on Chris Jericho one-on-one. Jericho, to me, merely a speed bump in the storyline here on Rollins' path to God Almighty himself, Triple H. So this is a match I think that he really needs to win, unless they want to stretch this out until the Rumble, but uh, Rollins, I think, gets the win here. Kevin Owens and Roman Reigns, champion against champion for the WWE Universal Championship. I do not see Roman Reigns, I hope Roman Reigns certainly does not leave as a double champion. I think that would be a mistake. I think Kevin Owens retains. I don't want to really venture a a guess as to uh, how, because I'm not quite sure. I I don't know. I would would think that Jericho does get involved. The way that storyline's been going... Uh, if you think about it, I guess it would have been uh, Owens, who Jericho blames for costing him the U.S. title. And that's what kind of worries me, because it, it would kind of make sense if Jericho got involved and kind of sorry, not sorry kind of thing, cost Owens his championship and Reigns wins and becomes a double champ. But I, I just, I think that would be a mistake. That's not something I want to see. Uh, so I'm going to hope that is not what they have in mind. I think Owens will retain... I think he'll win, uh, but I'm not quite sure how they'll do it. I'm sure Jericho somehow will will be involved. Uh, if I'm them, I'm looking at this objectively, and I enjoyed all the stuff that they've done with Owens and Jericho. I'm sad to see that it's coming to an end or it's come to an end, but it was inevitable. Uh, I thought they could have done that match, frankly, between Jericho and Owens on this show, but they didn't. But what I'd like to see, I would like to see, and, and what I think could happen is Jericho gets involved, and, and Jericho... Maybe he's showing mixed signals where he's going to help Owens, but then he kind of looks like, wait a minute, can this guy be trusted? Does he easy out for revenge? What's going on here? And maybe he does try to cost Owens the match. Not so overtly, but kind of like, oop, sorry, like that kind of thing. But it backfires. Owens ends up winning anyway. But now Owens, seeing this, is kind of pissed off and is like, wait a minute, you almost tried to cost me my championship here. Or you you tried something and it backfired and it, it could have cost me everything. And maybe that is the impetus to put these two together for a match at the Royal Rumble. Maybe they do Jericho and Owens for the championship at the Rumble. I, I don't see that as the WrestleMania match. 
I, I just, you know, the two heels against each other, I just don't see that being the WrestleMania championship match. I could definitely see that being the match on the undercard, though, with the Rumble. So that's hopefully what ends up coming out of this. Uh, maybe a little hard to justify giving Jericho a title shot at the next pay-per-view if he loses, as I think he will to Seth Rollins. But look, they've done stupid things before. Uh, they could always find their find their way out of it, I suppose. So anyway, Owens is my pick in that match. And then we have what I think is the real main event of the show. And I think, uh, I, I think there's a decent chance they'll go on last. I mean, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. I still think they're going to have a great match. Uh, I'm, I'm quite uh, optimistic about that. Between Sasha Banks and Charlotte, they have a 30-minute Iron Man match for the Raw Women's Championship. They're billing this as the end of their feud. This is it, right? That's the, that's the subtitle of the pay-per-view. It's roadblock, end of the line. Well, this ma- and this is part of the reason why I think this will be the main event. If you look at the advertising, you know, I got an email from WWE.com for the, for the network and the big graphic. It wasn't showing Reigns and, and Owens. It was showing Sasha and Charlotte. And then next to them, they showed a little graphic with Owens and, and, uh, and Reigns and then Jericho and Rollins. It was very clear what match they were positioning as the main attraction on this show. And it plays into the whole, End of the line theme, if this is the end of their feud. Apparently that's a stipulation in the match. No rematch. There is a no rematch stipulation. We need more of those. So, uh, I think they probably will end up going on last. Now, there's a few different ways you can go with this. I said weeks ago, the predictable route to go would be Ric Flair turns on Sasha, helps her daughter win back the championship, and Charlotte once again is champion and the hot potato continues with this title. Uh, I really would rather they not do that. Even with the no rematch step, if, if it would put some finality on it, it's like, okay, Charlotte won, she's the champ, that's it. Sasha moves on to something else, maybe Bailey. I, I would like to see her and Bailey, uh, whether it's for the title or not, at WrestleMania. I would like for that to be the Mania match, uh, although I guess they could do a three-way. I, I just keep the title on Sasha. It, it's gone back and forth so many times, there's no reason to switch it again. Uh, this little streak, this little record that Charlotte has of being undefeated on every pay-per-view, 13 or 14 straight pay-per-views. Okay, she's not The Undertaker. This is not going to go on for 20 years. It's got to come to an end at some point. Uh, I think tonight is that night. I think they could go for the big dramatic finish. I think Charlotte goes up two or three falls in the match. You know, Sasha's working, uh, coming from behind as the underdog. Pulls it out in the end. You have those dramatic final minutes of the match. And, you know, you go off the air with the big baby face win and, and Sasha standing tall, Charlotte crying, I'm sure. And that's it. And they both move on to whatever the next challenge is for Sasha. You know, I guess maybe that's Nia Jax. I don't know who else there is. You know, I certainly don't want to see Sasha and Dana Brooke. I don't see it being Sasha and Bailey so fast. I think, again, that's the Mania program. Uh, but we'll see. But I think Sasha is, is going to pull it out. I think she should pull it out. She's my pick. And I've got high hopes for this match. I was uh, very underwhelmed. I had high expectations for their Hell in a Cell match, and, and I was disappointed. I know some of you were not. You know, hey, <laughs> good for you. But I thought that that was uh, not the kind of match that they could have. And we saw them have a great, what I thought anyway, was a great match on Raw just a few weeks ago with the False Count Anywhere step. Here in an Iron Man match, they can go anywhere, they can do anything. It kind of reminds me of the Iron Man match that John Cena and Randy Orton had. Uh, I want to say it was, it might have been that one of those bragging rights shows, like in 09 maybe. 
they had an hour-long Iron Man match, and it's like, oh boy, <laughs> John Cena and Randy Orton, who at the time, it was like, the ne- talk about the never-ending feud. I mean, there's a lot of parallels here now that I think about it, because that was a feud that people were just dying to see just over and done with already, and it just kept going and going and going. But it culminated, I, I think, in this this Iron Man match that turned out to be a pretty damn good Iron Man match. I wouldn't put it at the very top of my list of favorites, but I remember liking that match a lot. And in that match, they brawled all over the building. I think there was they had that one sequence where Orton kind of pushed a button and Pyro went off. He tried to, like, kill Cena. But they brawled all over the place. I thought they had a hell of a match. So I'm hoping for more of the same from, from the women tonight. That's my uh, rundown of predictions here for Roadblock. I, I was able to make a nice comeback with the uh, TLC pay-per-view after a horrible showing with Survivor Series. Hopefully I can... I can keep the momentum going. Uh, and, and TLC turned out to be one of the better shows of the year. I mean, that gets into the whole Raw versus SmackDown thing, which do you think is better? I think a lot of people would probably say SmackDown. They had a hell of a show. Uh, what I thought, like I said, was one of the best of the year. That, that and Battleground, I think, were two of the better pay-per-views of the year. I think Roadblock, they've got their work cut out for themselves, but there's some pretty, pretty good matches on paper. So I'm, I'm optimistic about it. At a press conference in the UK with Triple H, William Regal, and Finn Balor on Thursday, WWE announced the crowning of its first ever United Kingdom champion next month. It'll be live on the WWE Network. It'll be a two-day, 16-man single elimination tournament, January 14th and 15th, from the Empress Ballroom in Blackpool, England, hometown of William Regal, in fact. I think the building, from what I read, fits around 3,000 people. Small venue. Michael Cole and Nigel McGuinness, who has left Ring of Honor. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We'll be calling the action. And the names for the tournament, I don't recognize many of them. In fact, I think Pete Dunn might be the only name that kind of rings a bell to me. And and from what I saw, uh, not only is Pete Dunn the Progress World Champion, but I believe he is one half of their tag team champions right now too. And day two of this tournament, this WWE tournament, uh, happens to fall the same day as a big progress show in Birmingham, which means that they will be without their champion for it. Uh, although from what I saw on the progress site, their show's already sold out. So at least it won't be a situation where they've got to worry now about selling tickets and we have to compete. And Ring of Honor has had that problem with NXT, uh, here in Brooklyn. In fact, Ring of Honor a few years ago was going to run a, uh, they had booked the minor league baseball stadium in Brooklyn for a show. 
And then NXT came out of nowhere. I think NXT came after the fact. They booked their first big show at the Barclays Center, which is only a few miles away. And it became a a struggle for a lot of people. Which show do you go to? Because they overlapped. You couldn't really go to both unless you went to ROH and left after the first couple of matches. And then hightailed it over to the Barclays Center. And it it hurt Ring of Honor. There's no doubt about that. They certainly didn't sell out the uh, the stadium or anything. So at least progress, if, if what I saw on their site is true, they've already sold out. So... Business-wise, it it shouldn't affect them for that show. But that is interesting that they're running a show, they have their champion, and their champion is, you know, potentially going to be elsewhere. Uh, as with the Cruiserweight Classic, I'm, I'm excited to see these guys for the first time. I did not recognize in the Cruiserweight Classic a lot of names and faces, and uh, you guys know how big of a fan I've become of, of Jack Gallagher, for example. That guy is just a, a revelation. I instantly became a fan of him the first time I watched him. So I'm hopeful that I'll, I'll end up feeling the same way about some of these guys too. Now two of these names, I'm going to read off the names here. Two of them are alternates in case anybody I guess goes down with an injury, has to pull out for some reason. Uh, they did the same thing for the Cruiserweight Classic. In fact, Aaron Solo, who's uh, Bailey's husband, uh, he was listed as an alternate. He never got picked obviously for the, uh, the Cruiserweight Classic, but he was kind of on standby in case they needed someone. But for this, the names are Pete Dunn, Trent Seven, Jack Stars, Wolfgang, Roy Johnson, Sam Gradwell, James Drake, Jordan Devlin, Tyler Bate, Joseph Connors, Tyson T-Bone, H.C. Dyer, Dan Maloney, Chris Tyler, Saxton Huxley, which sounds like a name WWE would give someone in developmental, Ringo Ryan, there's another one, Tiger Ali, and Tucker, who is from Northern Ireland, that's about all I know about the guy. So those are the names. Uh, nothing yet on where and when the new title would be defended, if it'll be a UK-only thing or not, how it would be defended, if it's going to be just another championship on the WWE roster. We don't know. Uh, but Triple H did an interview with Newsweek where he said that their hope is that this is something that becomes a success and therefore becomes a weekly show of its own, based out of the UK with UK talent. And the talent would still be able to continue wrestling for companies like RevPro and Progress and ICW. So basically, WWE wants to follow the same pattern as the Cruiserweight Classic, where the Brits get their own version of 205 Live on the network. I mean, they are in total content creation mode right now for that network. If they if they could have first-run programming on the network every day of the week, they would do it. And I do think that their ultimate goal, you know, Raw's on USA... Uh, but they have the Raw pre-show, right, on the network on Monday. SmackDown's also on USA, but they have 205 Live and Talking Smack on Tuesdays on the network. They have NXT on Wednesdays. I don't know if this will end up being a weekly series or not, uh, but if it does, let's say they air, you know, the UK version of, of this show on Thursdays at some point. Uh, don't forget, there's also talk about them doing a similar tournament with female wrestlers next year from all around the world. I'm telling you, eventually, I guarantee you, they will have something every single day of the week. Seven days a week, first-run programming on that network. Whether or not that's a good thing or not depends on their subscriber numbers, I guess, right? If the numbers go up, then it's a good thing. If they stay stagnant, if the numbers go down, if people get totally, completely burned out on all this stuff, then it's not so good. But between all the hours of television they have now, plus all the stuff on the network and, and all the stuff from that Flow Slam service that just launched, they keep adding promotions by the day, it seems, and, and all the other streaming services that all the different indie promotions out there have. The one thing I will say is that there has never been 
more pro wrestling as widely and easily accessible as there is today. And it's, it, it is easy to get burned out on all of it. So what you do is you pick and choose what you want to watch. I look at this and I, my first inclination is, I mean, this is, this is complete overkill here. All these different shows. Of course it's, it's, it's burnout. Of course, because you have fans who feel, oh, I've got to watch this, right? I'm, they have a new show. I've got to watch. We've got the cruiserweights. I got to watch. We've got this. I got to watch. The reality is you don't have to watch any of it, right? And I keep kind of reminding myself of that. If I, if I, if there's only enough hours in the week to work with, right? And they keep adding shows. I will at some point look at this and go, okay, I can't watch all of this. So I'm just going to watch A, B, and C, and D, E, F, and G, I'll check out when I have a chance to check out. The cool thing about the network, I will say, is that you could just watch this shit on demand whenever you want to. So I'm not going to like rant and rave, oh, it's too much, it's bur-. it is, it is too much, but at the end of the day, the way the network is set up, you pick and choose what you want to watch. So if you're not into the UK scene, if you don't really give a damn about any of these guys, then you don't have to watch. But I, I think it's cool that they do, you know, they're going to have this two-day tournament live on the network. I mean, that's the sort of thing when the network first started that I was saying that they should be doing. That's exactly it, right? They're going to have the show in this intimate venue in the middle of, you know, Blackpool, England, bringing wrestlers from all over the indie scene. I mean, it, it is cool. It is a cool thing that they're doing. Uh, I don't know long-term how cool it'll be for a lot of these promotions. Right now, everything's all hunky-dory. Yeah, we're forming partnerships and relationships with these different promotions. It's great. We have the, the WWE connection. Be weary of that, right? If if I'm looking at this and I'm, you know, these promoters, I'm eh, be, be a little weary about that because WWE's your friend now. What's the long-term plan here? That's what I would want to, you know, be interested in knowing. What is their long-term vision for all of this. And and there's been a lot of talk about it this week. People thinking that WWE is trying to create their own territory system. Or they're trying to like, you know, kind of bring these indie promotions into the fold. And form these relationships. And then the long-term goal is just to weaken everybody. And it's just one big WWE system. You know what? We, we don't know for sure. But they certainly are making a lot of moves lately that would lead one to believe uh, <laughs> world domination is kind of what they're looking at here. And I think they want, they already control, uh, the scene here stateside. I mean, they are clearly the number one promotion. They are the biggest promotion. They are the, uh, promotion that has the most money available to them. And maybe that's just not big enough for them. Now they want to take, they see the, you know, the UK scene's getting hot. Hey, we got to get in on that. You know, we, we need to kind of plug ourselves into that and take advantage of that. And there's nothing wrong with that. If I'm a wrestling promoter and I say, wait a minute, you know, the UK is a hotbed, Italy. Italy, for whatever reason, a number of years ago, couldn't get enough pro wrestling. Pro wrestling was so hot over there and then it burned out because nothing lasts forever. But you know what? If I'm a promoter and I see that, of course I'm going to want to get involved. But to what extent? What exactly is their long-term plan? That's all I'm saying. Be weary. If I'm a UK promotion... I look at that, and that's what I think. But I will say, you know, I, I'm really happy for Nigel McGuinness. Kind of lost in all this is the fact that Nigel frickin' McGuinness is now in WWE. I feel like this is not getting the attention. It, I know he's not wrestling, so it's not as big of a deal, but that's still a big deal. I mean, I remember watching his movie a few years ago, and, uh, you know, The Last of McGuinness, and it was good. I enjoyed it, but it was also really depressing. It really was. I mean, here's a guy... 
his career mirrored that of Daniel Bryan in so many ways, right? They, they came up together. They worked together. They were friends. They had great matches together. They both get offers from WWE at the same time. So now they're going to be coming up together. Bryan goes on to great success. He even headlined a WrestleMania. Nigel, meanwhile, has his offer pulled. So he has an offer. I don't think it was ever a signed contract, but he had an offer. This was not talk of an offer, the potential of an offer. He had a standing offer to come in to work for WWE, has the offer pulled because I guess they wanted him to have surgery on his bicep. I think he had bicep tears uh, in both arms at different points while wrestling for Ring of Honor, and he never had them fixed. And maybe something came up on a test because they send all these guys to, you know, Pennsylvania. I think it's, that might be Pittsburgh actually to have their medicals. Nothing is ever official until the medicals are done and, and they pass all the, all the tests. I'm guessing something must have come up. I don't know, but they wanted him to have surgery. He didn't have the money to have surgery on. I guess it was something WWE wasn't going to pay for because he wasn't signed yet. And so the offer got pulled and he ended up in TNA. He worked as Desmond Wolf, had a nice little run. I remember him feuding with Kurt Angle for a while, but then he gets diagnosed with hepatitis C and his career, just like that, comes to an end. I mean, this guy couldn't catch a break. Talk about a dark period in his life. No wonder it came off as depressing in the movie because his whole career was building to this moment only to have it just ripped away from him. So he gets a run in TNA and then the hep C diagnosis And just like that, his career is over. And now finally, here he is making it after all these years to WWE, although in a very different role than the one that I'm sure he envisioned for himself all those years ago. It took until the age of 40, but Nigel finally made it. And the sad irony is that he and Daniel Bryan finally find themselves in WWE together at the same time but neither of them are active wrestlers anymore. <laughs> I think Brian even pointed that out on Twitter when he congratulated Nigel. And it's true. Here they are together, and they're not even wrestling anymore. But I am reminded, just to kind of sum all this up here, because this this is a big story. And I feel like this is a story that we're going to have to watch all throughout 2017. 2016 was a crazy year when you look back on some of the things that we saw this year in wrestling and specifically moves that WWE was making in terms of partnering up with different indie promotions. They put this Cruiserweight Classic tournament together. We're seeing qualifying matches in 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 the independent promotion. These are WWE matches for one of their tournaments in other promotions. I mean, just a complete change in attitude. Things that we never would have ever expected to see happen this year. I think 2017 is going to be even crazier. And I think this is going to be a big story to watch. But I am reminded of a clip from Sound Off 374. Exactly 100 episodes ago, oddly enough. Which was a show I recorded almost two years ago. Where I proposed the theory that Triple H had suddenly taken a liking to all of this independent talent, not because he's suddenly a big fan of the indies, which I get the impression he never was a big fan of the indies before, but because the longer-term plan here is to raid much of that talent, not just to build NXT, which is his baby, so of course he wants to help build that, 
especially when Vince just takes, you know, half his roster and calls him up to the main roster. You got to replenish the roster somehow. And they don't have a lot of guys just floating around the performance center who are ready for prime time. Hey, let's put them on TV. Where are you going to get those guys from? You're going to get them from the indies, right? So no wonder Triple H is suddenly a big fan of, of, of independent talent and, and, uh, and, and all that kind of stuff. But the longer term goal also is to get themselves to a point where the performance center has all of this great new talent that they've plucked from these different territories and promotions around the world who they can teach from the ground up to verse them in their style and teach them the way things they want them to be done. And in turn, what ends up happening, whether this is WWE's intent or not, it doesn't matter, what will end up happening to a lot of these companies, and and, and a few might continue to thrive because they have the personal relationships and because... Again, the UK scene right now is real hot. I think ICW had a, an event not too long ago. It was at the Hydro, maybe. They had like six, 7,000 people. I mean, we're not talking about indies here that have 50 people or 500 people. So some of them are going to continue to do okay for themselves. But a lot of these promotions will end up being weakened as a result of their talent being taken away from them. And talent who maybe after a couple of years would go on to be the next you know, uh, Marty Skrull or Will Ospreay or whoever, but WWE is going to grab him early and bring him on over. I mean, you're going to start to see a lot of that. Especially from the ones who are not partnered up maybe right now with WWE. Those are the ones that are going to get hurt. But there was another point I made in that video I did two years ago, and it was about Ring of Honor. I think my quote was, if you're Ring of Honor, watch your back. And here we are now, almost two years later, and just in the last few weeks, this is just the last few weeks, we've seen Steve Carino finish up an ROH for a coaching gig with WWE. Now Nigel McGuinness leaves Ring of Honor for WWE in a move that apparently caught Ring of Honor very much off guard. Although Nigel wasn't under any sort of contract according to uh, PW Insider, which if that's true, that's just stupid. I mean, I'm sorry, that's Ring of Honor's fault if that's the case. So he's gone. There's also a pretty damn good chance that Adam Cole, who up until a few weeks ago was their world champion, may finally be WWE bound in a few months when his contract is up. They lost Cedric Alexander to WWE. They lost Roderick Strong. The guy who called himself Mr. ROH. They lost him to WWE. I saw Michael Elgin just said he's done with Ring of Honor. He's going to be working full-time for New Japan going forward. I mean, at least they got the Young Bucks. <laughs> I mean, that, that was that was a big coup, actually, for them. I mean, you may not like the Young Bucks. I know the Young Bucks are a very polarizing act. People either really, really like them, or they fucking hate those guys. But wherever you fall on that spectrum, the Young Bucks are a hot act. They're doing pretty well for themselves, to the point where they didn't have to... They basically thumbed their nose at WWE and signed a two-year contract with Ring of Honor. And signed a new contract with with uh, New Japan as well, you know. And I say good for them. The fact that they can do that, good for them. Balls in their court. They they have leverage. Not not a lot of indie guys can say that. I don't know. A lot of people would actually do that because you know there was interest. I don't know if there was ever any formal offer, but you know there had to be interest. WWE probably wants those guys, and and I'm sure would have made some kind of an offer to them. And probably a decent one. Maybe not uh, at the level they got. So they went where the money was. And that was a, a big coup for Ring of Honor to be able to keep those guys and lock those guys down. There are some positive signs for Ring of Honor. You know, I mean, their last pay-per-view I saw got rave reviews. 
with very little influence from New Japan. That's been one of the knocks on Ring of Honor for the longest time now is it's great that they have this working relationship with New Japan, but you know, their, their shows were so saturated with New Japan talent and people were looking forward to seeing Tanahashi and Okada. And it's like, well, shouldn't they be interested to see the Ring of Honor guys? So on that last pay-per-view, it seemed like it was more Ring of Honor. It wasn't so much New Japan, it was Ring of Honor. And that's a, that was a good sign. Uh, they've signed some new talent, you know, Will Ospreay, uh, Marty Skrull. So it's not all doom and gloom. But that doesn't mean that Ring of Honor doesn't have big problems right now. And I think next year, it's going to be more of the same. WWE, they're going all out here. They're pulling talent from every which way. And they've got their sights locked in on Ring of Honor. you got other guys there too, Jay Lethal. Who, who probably should have been in WWE a long time ago. Uh, I would not be at all shocked to see him end up there, but I don't know what his contract situation is like. Maybe he's locked down for a while. I don't know. Uh, but Ring of Honor, I say the same thing now that I said two years ago. Watch your back. Because we're seeing it play out right now before our eyes. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. But, you know, here we see now the rise of the of the British wrestling scene. It's thriving. It's booming. Uh, this new world of sport. I forgot to mention that, but they've got this new world of sport pilot. Uh, world of sport used to be huge. Aired for many, many years uh, in the UK. And they've got a, a pilot. They're kind of rebooting it. Kind of a, a new age version of it. It's going to be airing on ITV, which is is going to be available to an audience of millions around the UK. This is not uh, some rink-eating channel here. ITV is a major station over there. Their top shows have an audience in the many millions. Meanwhile, Raw in the UK every week has an audience in the high tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands. They don't have millions of people watching Raw on whatever station it airs on over there in the UK every single week. It's actually substantially less. I was I was shocked when I when I read that. So this pilot is going to be airing on New Year's Eve. If that pilot does well enough, it could spawn into a regular thing where you have a weekly show and they do live events and touring. And, you know, with with their potential rise here, I'm sure that plays a very big role in what we're seeing here in WWE. They seem hell-bent on snatching up as much talent as they possibly can. So again, I was reminded of what I said here on the podcast two years ago because we're seeing it right now. It is playing out right in front of our faces. And for years, WWE, they thumbed their nose at the indies. It was almost like a stain on you if you did make a name for yourself on the independent scene. And then CM Punk and Daniel Bryan got over big against all odds. Because if you really look back at their history, I mean, CM Punk could have been dumped when he was still in developmental. Of all people, it was Shawn Michaels, as the story goes, who actually stuck up for him. 
or else we may never have gotten to see M Punk in ECW. We may never have gotten to see M Punk, you know, on Raw and SmackDown. There may never have been the pipe bomb and all the other stuff that came after that. And then Brian, he went through his own struggles where, you know, they didn't look at him as being the guy, but the fans had other ideas. And, you know, somehow, some way, he he managed to fight his way to the top. His run was short. It was cut short, but he made it. I mean, those two guys, they are two wrestling success stories. They may not have had happy endings on the way out, but they were two success stories. And that opened up a lot of eyes in the company to, hey... You know, maybe we ought to be taking another look at these guys and the, and the smaller guys. And all of a sudden, WWE started to change their tune. I saw a note. I don't know where it came from, if it was the Observer or, or Keller's newsletter a few weeks ago that said there's a directive that went out recently that at the moment, we're not looking at bringing in anybody or signing anybody who's over 205, 205 being the cruiserweight limit. Now, I don't know if I'd buy that. And I don't, I think that's absolutely stupid. I mean, <laughs> You know, come on now. I mean, if, if there's a guy who comes along who has a great physique, who's 275, cut, ripped, and can work, you'd be a fool not to sign somebody like that. So I'm sure, I'm sure they're open to all of their options. But if, if there was a directive like that that went out, boy, I mean, that, you talk about a change. You talk about a change in attitude from just a few years ago. It would have been the exact opposite. They, there was a directive at one point many years ago that went out that said, we're not looking at anybody who's under 6'2, 225. So if that's true and they're focusing now on people under 205, I mean, that tells you something right there. But I do think it goes back to Punk and Brian. If you want to give any anyone credit, them getting over as much as anything, I think, can be credited for WWE being as aggressive as they have been and going after smaller guys. And, you know, they've done a complete 180. Triple H now, he's on social media snapping selfies with Gabe they're having cruiserweight qualifying matches in Rev Pro. I mean, part of that is just, it, it, it's just smart business, right? You, you you look at who's carrying this company right now. It's mostly guys who either made their name somewhere else or they, they got, you know, big working indie shows and, and promotions like Ring of Honor. They're not stupid. I mean, they recognize that. They see who these guys are and, and, and the value in bringing in guys like that and they want to bring in more of them and there's nothing wrong with that. But I'm sure there's a hell of a lot more to it than just, well, you know, we're just looking to go all over the world and produce new content for the network, and it's all good. We can form these nice, cozy relationships with all of these different promotions. Believe me, this is this is just the beginning of what I'm sure is a much larger plan. And one person who who seems to recognize this is the. I guess I think he's the president of uh, Bushy Road. That's what it is. Bushy Road is the company that owns New Japan Pro Wrestling. His name is Takaki Kidani. And Kidani has uh, made some very interesting statements about WWE and what they're doing. And he suggested this week that he thinks WWE's goal is to acquire a Japanese promotion and to run it as their own Japanese territory. And that's because WWE has had trouble creating new stars, what they'll they'll end up doing is they will air programming from all of these different territories, Japan and UK and other places, on the network to create what he calls new network stars. And he says WWE of late has taken the attitude of you're either with us or you're against us. It's an us against them mentality. 
and he says that they, they being New Japan, they're going to have their own news to announce soon. But that was very, very interesting for him to come out publicly and say, you know, WWE is acting like it's us against them, and we're going to have our own things to announce soon, because those sound like fighting words to me. Very interesting times I think we find ourselves in now. Believe me, I'm going to do a prediction show in a couple of weeks. This is going to be the story to watch out for in 2017. I want to follow up on one thing real quick from last week before we get into all the other news. Uh, Jerry Lawler talked about him last week being booted from the uh, pay-per-view pre-shows. He did an interview in Memphis. He was asked about being booted. He says that he got a call from Kevin Dunn, who uh, asked him if he knew where to find some good wood. No, I'm kidding. Uh, He told him that because he was making so much money before he got taken off of SmackDown, that his salary was essentially absorbed into the pre-show budget, I guess, and it made the show very expensive to produce. So basically, it was purely a cost-cutting measure. Uh, He says he's still under contract until next month, at which point they're going to talk about possibly working out a new deal. Uh, He does expect to make less money. He seems to be okay with that. He also teased that he might sign a talent deal, which I don't know exactly what that entails, but if that entails what I think it does, I find that very hard to believe. Uh, He has not wrestled for them since the heart attack in 2013, no, 2012. So it's four years ago. Four years, he has not wrestled any kind of matches in WWE or really had any major physicality. Uh, I do not see them putting him back in the ring now, even for like a Legends match every now and then. I just don't see it. Uh, I think that ship has sailed. But he did say that Vince McMahon called him up personally after it all went down to tell him that he has a job for life as the MC for the Hall of Fame each year. So he will, in fact, be hosting again. Uh, in 2017 in Orlando. So that's the update on Jerry Lawler. Lita, I haven't heard anything new as far as I know. She is totally and completely divested from WWE. She is gone. And uh, that is the end of her. Brock Lesnar was suspended for one year and he was fined $250,000, which is basically the price for probably one Raw appearance. Suspended by the Nevada State Athletic Commission for failing two drug tests before his UFC 200 fight with Mark Hunt. And his win over Hunt has now been changed to a no contest. The suspension should not affect his WWE status. I guess so long as they don't book him for matches over the next year in whatever handful of states uh, that have athletic commissions might actually recognize the suspension. Apparently there are some states that would at least... I guess legally maybe have to recognize the suspension. I don't know if they, in practice, if they would or not. Uh, I don't know that Texas or Florida are two of those states. So as far as the rumble in WrestleMania, he should be in the clear. But, he, you know, I look at this and to me it's like, all right, you know, he gets off with a slap on the wrist, really, because he's only out 250000 of the $2.5 million that he made off that fight. And the suspension is retroactive to the date of his last fight. The date of his last fight was July 9th, which means that as of next July, he's going to be eligible to fight again if he wants to. And July just so happens to be when UFC typically books its biggest show of the year. It's like their WrestleMania. And they have events all weekend that kind of bookend the event. It really is like their version of WrestleMania. So if he wants to fight again next summer, the hunt... You know, the, the, the timing, I should say, could not be more perfect. You know, provided Vince McMahon signs off on it again. If Brock wants to fight, believe me, UFC would be more than happy to take him back. 
So whatever it was that Brock took, probably should have used it before his match with Goldberg. Maybe he uh, would have lasted longer than 96 seconds. But yeah, I look at this and, I mean, they had to do something and, and I'm glad they did, but does it really, you know, make an example out of the guy or anything like that? Of course not. Of course not. This is, uh, for him, it's tantamount to a slap on the wrist. Chris Hero. Let's talk about Chris Hero. Chris Hero spent two years, 2011 to 2013 he spent, working as Cassius Ono in NXT before being unceremoniously cut. That that still is probably one of the most, if not the most shocking cut, uh, I think, from developmental, from NXT in the time that it's been running. Uh, Chris Hero made a name for himself on the independent scene. He's a very talented pro wrestler. That's why they signed him. And I remember thinking back, because uh, Cesaro at the time, he was also in developmental, and or maybe he had just come out. And it was like, oh, they should put the two of them together. Reunite the kings of wrestling. Call them whatever you want. But they were a great tag team. And at the time, I think they really could have used some good tag teams, and they had other ideas. Uh, Cesaro became a, an ex-rugby player, and they put... Uh, Oh, not Lana. Who'd they put with him? Uh, Oksana. They put Oksana with him. And Hero became Cassius Ono. And he had the big uh, forearm, I guess, was his finish. And he was doing his thing in NXT. He actually got himself physically into the best shape I've ever seen him in. But there were still knocks on his his physique and all that. I don't know that that's what got him uh, shit-canned. I still don't know exactly what the reasoning or the rationale was behind that. I'm not even sure he knew at the time. Maybe now he does. But anyway, he spent some time there for a couple of years and uh, got cut and he went back out on the indie scene and he's been doing his thing. And, and, you know, people like on our Facebook page and everything, they'll post pictures of what he looks like now and, you know, his physique is not what it used to be. But you know what? You watch a Chris Hero match and I've seen a few of them and you watch him wrestle. The guy is really good. It doesn't matter what he looks like or how much he weighs or anything like that. I mean, people can can make whatever comments they want to. It certainly has not affected his in-ring performance. And uh, by and large, I mean, he seems to be well-liked by a lot of people and, and very well-respected within wrestling. So the, the point I'm getting at here is that Chris Hero is rumored to have been uh, re-signing with WWE to come back, uh, most likely, on the NXT brand. That is the rumor. That is not by any stretch of the imagination confirmed. WWE has said nothing. Hero has, for the most part, maintained his silence. He did tweet during the week... Uh, he said, I cannot help but be disappointed by irresponsible journalism. And it was very cryptic and very vague. He didn't address anybody specifically. Uh, I know there was an initial story that went out on one website uh, that mentioned the fact that he is coming back and he's going to resume using the Cassius Ono name in developmental, which is the name he had before. Uh, I, I think it was Meltzer in his newsletter said he was coming back, but he didn't mention that last part. So I don't know, and I think he may have kept it intentionally vague, if what he was quote-unquote disappointed in is the fact that people are saying, I'm going to use this name when actually that may not have even been decided yet. He certainly didn't come out and deny the rumors. So I still have every reason to believe that this guy's coming back to WWE. What he was disappointed in, who the hell knows? Unless he actually tells us, we don't know. But, you know, in, in reference to the stories that he's, uh, you know, is it, is it in reference to those stories that he signed in coming back? I think what we have here, I, I think, I think what we have here, now, as far as the name goes, to me, it wouldn't make any sense for him to go back to using the Cassius Ono name, even though that was the name he had before. It was a couple of years in developmental, barely anybody even remembers it. 
And also, they have a KO now. KO! That was his gimmick. His name is Cassius Ono. He knocks people out. He KOs them. You've got a KO already on the roster. You've got Kevin Owens selling KO t-shirts. You can't go back to using KO. It's taken. So just let the guy be Chris Hero. They're bringing guys in now using their real names. Why should he be any different? It's not like he built up this great history at NXT as Cassius Ono. Of course he didn't. No, he didn't. Just let him be Chris Hero. My guess is if he comes back, that's exactly what he's going to be. But it could be a little bit of both. It could be frustration on people reporting, you know, that. And also the fact that he's signed because he may not actually be signed. I don't, I don't really believe that he is officially signed yet. He kind of addressed it at the PWG show on Friday night. He, he cut a promo. He didn't deny the WWE stuff. All he said was, I genuinely don't know what's going to happen. It's kind of just out there. It's not official. I think he went for his medicals and he may have passed all of that. That's where things are right now. And and in the address to the fans at the PWG show, he specifically pointed to Willie Mack as an example. Willie Mack, who's now at Lucha Underground, he had signed or he was in the process of signing a deal or being signed by WWE. Something happened, though, along the way. Uh, I think it may have had something that to do with his medical. Something may have come up. I, I just, I don't remember. But what ended up happening is, kind of like Nigel, I mentioned him a little while ago, they passed on him. They pulled the the offer. And so Willie Mack went from about to sign with WWE to just, you know, going back to work in the indies and being the Mac in Lucha Underground, which is fine. I, I like the Mac. The Mac is cool. Uh, but he had an offer and it got pulled. And so, again, what I get out of all this is he's probably WWE bound. Uh, and I would think as, as himself, as Chris Hero. But they could change their minds at the last minute because who the hell knows what goes through these people's heads. So he's taking a very cautious approach here. He's probably upset that it got out because he may think WWE may, you know, look unkindly to this. So he's kept his mouth shut up until this point. He doesn't want to rock the boat. He doesn't want to do anything that might jeopardize uh, him going back. It's not official, but it's likely. I think that's, honest to God, where things stand right now. But I think he would be a great pickup for them. They never should have cut him in the first place unless they had some really great reason that just never came to light or some kind of... You know, he did something wrong or or who knows, right? We don't have all the information, but it definitely was a head-scratching move to cut somebody like that. I think he'd be a great pickup for them. And I would guess that if they can get all this worked out in the next few weeks, if it isn't already, uh, that he hits NXT first. And who knows? We might see him rumble weekend in San Antonio, maybe at that next TakeOver show as a surprise. We've seen a few people before show up at NXT TakeOver even just sitting in the crowd, right? We saw Kota Ibushi just sitting in the crowd. We saw Bobby Roode just sitting in the crowd. We may see the same with Chris Hero. Maybe he'll make his debut on that show in San Antonio. Who knows? But to me, if they can get all this worked out, that would be the perfect place to debut him. I want to talk about this New Day controversy, this non-controversy that erupted during the week over a photo and a hashtag that they used on uh, social media. Kofi Kingston had to come out and address this. He posted a long statement on Twitter. Basically what it was is they tweeted a photo of the New Day, Rich Swan, and Sasha Banks. All with their championships. Holding up their championships. Because they all happen to be champs simultaneously uh, in WWE. Which is pretty cool. So they posted a photo, and underneath the photo was the hashtag Black Excellence. And Kofi got a lot of 
backlash from people. He had a lot of positive feedback, but he also got a lot of backlash from people saying, uh, why does it have to be about race? Why black excellence? Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. If I would have said, you know, white excellence or white this or white that, you know, it would be an uproar. You know, why does this have blah, 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 blah. People just, you know, basically looking to be upset because they're bored. They have nothing better to do. So they complain about uh, freaking hashtag on Twitter. So he posted this long statement. I thought it was a very classy way for him to kind of explain exactly what he and they meant by it. Obviously, it wasn't meant to stir up any sort of racial tension or anything like that. It was something that, you know, they, they were all very proud of, of what they had accomplished and what it represented. And I'll let you read it. I'm not going to read the whole statement, but you can read it for yourself. I thought it was very well written and very well done. And he made it a, you know, a point in the statement to say that excellence is not the same as supremacy, right? That, that those are two totally different things and that's not what they were saying. Uh, black excellence is not meant to be divisive and anyway, you can read the statement for yourself. I, I'm ashamed that he even had to write all of that. I think it's embarrassing. Uh, I didn't have a problem with it at all, but I did think he handled the whole thing with class. I give him a lot of kudos for it. But again, you'll have people saying, oh, if a white wrestler used the hashtag white power or white excellence, they would be labeled this or that. Yeah, that's right. They would. You know, last I checked, white people were not a minority group in this country. Nor are they in the wrestling business, by the way. Traditionally, that has not been the case. And it still is not the case today. African Americans are still a minority group. And so here's five people pointing out that they all happen to be black... And they all happen to be champion at the same time in a company where that rarely, if ever, has happened before. I can't think of another time where we had five wrestlers on the WWE main roster who happen to be black who are all champion at the same time. I'm not saying it, it hasn't happened, but before I was trying to think and I couldn't come up with one instance of it. And if there is one instance, that's probably all there is. And it's something that they're proud of. They, they recognize it. They say, hey, this is pretty cool. I fail to see what all the fuss is about. Get over yourselves. You know how many times I've gotten questions sent to me for the mailbag asking, you know, why has there never been a black WWE champion? And when I mention The Rock, I get some pushback on that because of the half Samoan thing. But they don't, you know, they don't count the world heavyweight title. We're talking specifically about the WWE championship. Why has there never been a black WWE champion? I would argue, now my argument in that would be that if Vince found somebody who he thought could carry the company and could make him a bunch of money, and that person happened to be black, they would have had a black WWF champion, right? I think Bobby Lashley, 
frankly. With the push that he was getting in 2007, okay, he was handpicked for the Battle of the Billionaires, which up until a few years ago was the biggest, like, money match at a, at a mania in WWE history with Vince and Trump. I mean, that, that did big business, that show. That was a big attraction, and Vince had to find two surrogates to represent him and Trump, and one of them was Bobby Lashley. I mean, that's a pretty big responsibility right there. I think there's a chance that had he stuck around, he had the physique, he had the size, he was already getting the push. He was still green, but he probably would have grown into it. There's a good chance he would have been that guy, but things didn't work out that way. Now, the rock aside, a lot of people say that there hasn't been a black WWF champion. And that does bother some people. You know, for these guys, it's a point of pride. It is something that matters. It may not matter to you, but it matters to them. And that's a sense of, of, of pride for them. For these guys, that they now collectively are enjoying this kind of success. I mean, wrestling, look, wrestling is a work. We all know this. We know nobody's actually winning anything. But it's still a big deal to them to be walking around with those belts. Being the first, you know, black this or the first female that. That's what I take that to mean. I didn't see the hashtag or or see the photo and think anything else because that's not how I'm thinking. Get over it. This is a manufactured controversy. There is no controversy here. I'm happy for all of those guys. And for Sasha. In fact, I hope that when Shelton Benjamin heals up from his injury, he still has a standing offer to come back to WWE, and he wins the Intercontinental title from The Miz, and they take another photo with the same hashtag, just to piss those same people off. Speaking of ridiculous overreactions, let me talk about this Kevin Owens thing with the mother and her kid. So I didn't have a chance to talk about this last week. I think it happened right after. There was a WWE show. I think it was in Lowell, Massachusetts. It was a seven-year-old boy wearing a Roman Reigns shirt who got up in Kevin Owens' face. And Owens responded by telling the kid to buy his shirt. And then he quickly changed his mind. He said, you know what? Don't buy my shirt. I don't want you to ever wear my shirt. And don't touch me. And he walked off. So basically, he was being a heel. This was all caught on cell phone video. I guess the mom recorded that last part that I just talked about. That is on video. And the mother then took to Facebook or Instagram or whatever it was to give her version of events and to complain about Kevin Owens' treatment of her son. She wrote this post. I'll read the whole thing here. This is what the woman said. My heart is shattered. What started off as an amazingly awesome night ended in my seven-year-old being completely heartbroken. (laughs) My son is a huge WWE fan and a fan of just about every wrestler on the roster. He has a drawer full of everyone's shirts, but he chose to wear a Roman Reigns shirt since he has been a fan of his ever since he started watching. All night he was getting high fives from other wrestlers and all smiles, but for some reason when Kevin Owens came out, he singled out my son and commented on the shirt that he was wearing and told him, you should get this shirt. Actually, don't get this shirt. I don't want you to ever wear my shirt. Don't you ever try to touch me. All because my seven-year-old wanted a high-five and wasn't wearing his shirt. My heart sank. He became visibly upset, sat down, and kept staring at the gate. I couldn't help it. I started crying. He loves wrestling. He has a drawer full of just about everyone's shirts. Over a hundred figures, so many, many accessories, and just loves watching and going to events. The worst part is he was going to be getting a Kevin Owens shirt and hat for Christmas, but now he doesn't want anything to do with him. It's almost like 
Kevin Owens is a heel or something. Kevin Owens was actually one of my son's favorites, but now he says he's not even on the list of who I like. Uh, Owens is not on the list. How about that? This was finally an event that my whole family was able to attend, and we were all having a great time until that happened. For a show that is supposed to be family-friendly, Kevin Owens really crushed a huge fan spirits last night. My son is seven, not 15 or 16, where they can take someone they idolize talking to them like that. We've been to so many events. TLC, SmackDown, Hell in a Cell, NXT, and The Draft. He doesn't want to go anymore. He had previously asked me if wrestlers who appear mean would ever do or say something to a kid, and I said, absolutely not. They know better. Now, hold on a second. I call bullshit on that. <laughs> okay? I'm calling bullshit on that one. Okay, How convenient. Just to slip that little one in there, right? I'm calling BS on that. Anyway. Kevin Owens made me a liar and just showed everyone last night how much of a jerk he really is. To top all of this off, after Kevin Owens lost to Roman Reigns and he was walking away from the ring, my son was just standing there on his seat watching and Kevin Owens jumped towards him and yelled at him, I am your father. Which made no sense, but with the sudden movement and loudness made all of us jump and my son almost fell off his seat. Well, to be fair, I mean, Kevin Owens was probably just excited that Rogue One was coming out. My son is crushed, and whenever he talks about it, he tears up. I can't believe a wrestler would actually treat a seven-year-old fan this way. Shame on you, Kevin Owens, and shame on WWE. Alright, that's her version of events. Who knows what did and didn't happen other than what the video showed. And what the video showed was Kevin Owens doing his job. He was being a bad man. He didn't smack the kid in the face. He didn't tell him to drop dead. He didn't tell him Santa was fake or the Easter Bunny has AIDS. Okay, she's being a mom, which is totally understandable. And he's being a pro wrestler. She's doing her job. He's doing his job. I saw comments online like, I guess she doesn't understand kayfabe. Of course she doesn't understand kayfabe. Who the, who the fuck other than wrestling fans online would know what kayfabe is? <laughs> Even people who think they know what kayfabe is have no idea what it actually means. I wouldn't expect this woman to know what it means either. I'm guessing she's not even a fan. Her son is a fan. So she took him to a show. And, and WWE has cleaned up its image over the years. They portrayed themselves as family-friendly entertainment. Just like they did in the mid-90s. And so when one of their wrestlers does what pro wrestlers are traditionally supposed to do, this is what ends up happening. I don't even blame the woman. Although I think she made that one part up that I mentioned because that sounds a little too convenient to me. That her son just so happened to have asked her the question, you know, about, oh, would, would you know, these wrestlers actually talk back to a kid? Give me a break. But here we are again with nothing being blown up into something, as is usually the case, right, for his part. Kevin Owens, all he said about it, he went on Twitter, he responded to the whole controversy by saying, A wrestler told my son not to touch him. I'm completely heartbroken. Well, not really, but if I complain, maybe I'll get free stuff. <laughs> uh, so, that tells you what he thinks her motives are. My message to Kevin Owens would be, not that he cares, but my message to him would be very simple. Keep doing what you're doing and don't ever change. And in one of the best stories, by far, of 2016... A jealous Alberto Del Rio beat up a Ninja Turtle in Mexico who he claimed had touched his girlfriend. That, of course, being Paige. Uh, it's really too bad that he left WWE because if they put him and Paige together on TV as an act, I think it had done wonders for him the way kind of like being with Lita did for Edge. Just 
absolute train wreck television at its finest. I think it would have been great. Uh, the Ninja Turtle in question was Raphael, who was always a dick anyway, so he deserved to get his ass kicked. Basically what happened was they were there to hang out, they were at a show, they were there to hang out with Alberto's brother, who was also a wrestler. In fact, he spent some time in developmental with WWE, lasted about as long as Alberto did. They were going down, I guess like a narrow hallway to the back after the show. Alberto thought that the turtle either said something inappropriate to Paige and or inappropriately touched her. A fight broke out, fans saw it happen. Uh, Alberto got the better of it because the turtle's about a foot shorter and like 60 pounds lighter than he is. You know, Leonardo, Michelangelo, and Donatello, I guess, were nowhere to be found. Now both guys are saying it was all just a big misunderstanding, water under the bridge. Except this is not the first weird incident that Del Rio has been involved in, right? I mean, even when he was in WWE, if you remember the fight that he and Drew Galloway got into with some dudes once at a bar... Right, he showed up with a pay-per-view, I think, the next night with a big shiner on his face. Uh, he slapped their social media guy for using a racial slur in front of him. He got stabbed. <laughs> Remember the stabbing a few months ago? We never did really get a straight story on exactly what happened there. We got about three or four versions of events, but we still don't quite know what happened there, how he got stabbed. Now he's attacking Ninja Turtles. This man is a menace. But it's great material for my podcast, I must tell you. All right, let's get to Raw. We may as well do that since we're about, what, 60-some-odd minutes in now? And I'm just going to run through these shows here because they're really, you know, I'm not, (laughs) there really isn't much to talk about. But Raw last Monday was live from Philadelphia. You would never know it if you were watching on TV and kind of paying attention to the crowd and audience reactions because it did not sound and feel like a Philly crowd. Uh, 1,688 votes, 48% thumbs up. 52% 52% thumbs down. First negative margin in a few weeks. Uh, the New Day, as I mentioned earlier, they have now shattered the demolition record of 478 days for longest reigning WWE Tag Team Champions of all time. The record that had been set by demolition way back in 1989 has now fallen to the wayside. Uh, they defended the title twice. On this show, both three-way matches. The first one opened the show against Anderson and Gallows and Cesaro and Sheamus. Uh, that Cesaro hot tag sequence near the end of the match was just, like, wow. <laughs> wow. I mean, that was that was a lot of fun to watch. I mean, that 619 he does is ugly as sin, but everything else this guy did, he was on fire. Uh, New Day, though, squeaked out a win. Accidentally sprayed Stephanie McMahon with champagne during their party backstage. And so later on, she made New Day defend the tag team titles in the main event against Kevin Owens and Chris Jericho and The Shield, Seth Rollins and Roman Reigns. And I pointed out on Twitter, you know, Rollins and Reigns as a Shield unit. Ambrose was the U.S. champ. And typically it was Rollins and Reigns who were wrestling as the tag team champs. And they were a tag team for two of my favorite matches in the last five years, one of which was the Money in the Bank kickoff match against the Usos in, ironically, it was in Philly, I believe, in 2013. Uh, I was at that show. They killed it. And the Battleground match, if you remember, I've, I've spoken fondly of this match before, the Battleground match that same year, a few months later, against the Rhodes Brothers. Uh, I love those matches, but they don't have the same magic together now, which... Makes me very sad. Things broke down at the end between Owens and Jericho on a miscommunication. Jericho got pedigreed by Rollins. Biggie pulled Rollins out of the ring. 
And that gave Xavier Woods the chance to cover Jericho for the win. They built this entire show around the New Day's record, setting the record. They made you think, oh, you can, they're going to get screwed out of it. There were people tweeting me, hey, do you think the Revival's going to come out now and beat them later in the show? And in the, I didn't think that, by the way. And in the end, they delivered what the fans wanted. That's, you know, look at me, the fans in the building, they wanted them to break that record. Uh, a lot of people wanted them to break the record. Not everybody, but I think the majority of, of people, I think, are happy for them and were excited to see them do it. And, and they did it. And so now they can drop them because they have long since gone past their expiration date, I think, as, as tag team champions. Uh, Anderson and Gallows are already dead because of it, but Cesaro and Sheamus don't have to be. They have a nice little thing going for themselves. And if they were going to get the belt at some point, it's got to be tonight. I think it's, it's now or never. We had uh, the furthering of the Sami Zayn storyline with him and Mick Foley and Braun Strowman. Basically, he went to Foley backstage early in the show, and Foley still wouldn't give him a match with Braun Strowman. He said, all right, you know, if you want to leave, you want to go to SmackDown, I'll make a call to Daniel Bryan, and we'll try to work out a trade. First time we've heard the word trade on this show, I think, since the whole brand split started. So they are aware of it. They are aware they can actually do trades, which is good. So later on, they're in the ring, and... Foley tells him, you know, I talked to Daniel Bryan and got off the phone with him and we agreed to a trade, a trade of a talent of equal value. You would go to SmackDown and in return, we here on Raw would get Eva Marie. And people booed and Zayn looked completely just incredulous at this at this development here. Just a total burial of Eva Marie. It was so great to see. This was this was so awesome. And in the end, it turned out to just be a swerve. He was never going to trade Sami Zayn for Eva Marie. Uh, he wanted to motivate Sami. Sami got angry. He got all fired up. He got up and Foley, more fire than I've ever seen from Sami Zayn before in a promo. And Foley then turned it back around on him and said, that's it right there. That's the Sami Zayn that I've been waiting for. That's the Sami Zayn I wanted to see. He goes, of course, I always believed in you. I just wanted to motivate you. And so he gave him a match at Roadblock with Braun Strowman. He says, because Strowman earlier on, he had a squash, and he said, there ain't nobody in this company who could last two minutes with me. And Foley said, I'm going to give you ten. We're going to give you ten minutes to prove that you can hang, if not beat, Braun Strowman. And that's the nature of the match they're having tonight. I guess it's, you know, whatever, ten-minute time limit, whatever the other rules are. And so that was kind of the culmination of this storyline that has been developing out over the last several weeks. And Sami Zayn, it looks like, is going to stay put for now on the Raw brand. Speaking of Foley, he's been given a few weeks off. He's going to be doing his yearly Santa Claus stuff. He's a big Santa Claus nut. Dresses up like him every year. It's going to be a little bit harder now. He just lost 100 pounds doing uh, DDP yoga. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. 
In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Which is, uh, which is awesome. Foley, I don't think Foley has ever been this slim in all his time with WWE. Even in 96 when he was looking practically trim. He was in there wrestling Shawn Michaels at Mind Games. He was at his lightest then. I think he's even lighter now. I think on the scale it said 236. So uh, good for him. Uh, that Let me tell you something. <laughs> that stuff works. I'm only two and a half weeks in and I'm, I'm sore all over and it uh, it works. And so I'm happy for Foley. But I'll tell you what I'm also happy about. What I'm also happy about, I bring this up because Foley's being given time off. He will be off television for the rest of this year. He will be back for the first episode of Raw of 2017, January 2nd. He will be back on TV. What this means is that we won't have to deal with Santa Foley on Raw next Monday night. Or, uh, yeah, next Monday, right? It will be next Monday's the day after Christmas. I'm sure it'll be a Christmas-themed show. Uh, unless they do that uh, this Monday, I suppose. They could do a, a Christmas-themed show a week early. But either way, Foley ain't coming back for a few weeks, so thank God we don't have to deal with that. I mean, one segment is is fine, but I was already dreading this because I'm thinking, oh my God, Mick Foley is the Raw GM. They're coming up to Christmas. It's going to be an entire show of this shit. And now we won't have to uh, to deal with that. I'm sure we'll get the usual Christmas uh, comedy and we'll get a an eggnog match or something, but we won't have to deal with Santa Foley, so that's a plus. And that was pretty much the story of Raw. It was all about the New Day. I mean, as of a, a few hours before the show, WWE was still hyping the debut of Emelina. If you remember, they said Emelina was supposed to debut this past Monday. She did not. Uh, I compared it a few weeks ago to the hype around the debut of the Funkasaurus, right? They did the exact same thing here. They are following the exact same blueprint. He's going to debut this week. And then Laura Nidus, no, nah, it's not going to be this week. It'll be next week. And they kept pushing it back and pushing it back and pushing it back. Now, in that case, supposedly, the plan actually changed. He was going to debut as a monster, and then it turned into, well, he'll dance as like a a dancing pimp. I don't know that their plans have changed with Emma, but it's certainly following that M.O. I'm telling you, she's all dolled up in her Instagram photos, half naked. She looks great, but now watch her debut on TV looking like Punky Brewster. I'm telling you, it's coming. SmackDown, for the uh, second straight week, they promoted a WWE Championship match between AJ Styles and James Ellsworth, only not to deliver, just like they didn't deliver with Emelina. This time, Ellsworth faked having a bad cold, poorly, I might add, this was poorly acted, and uh, Shane McMahon, as a result, sent him home, for having a cold, not for the poor acting. Uh, Shawn Michaels... I am reminded here, as I think about this, Wrestle, we're coming up to the Alamo Dome, right? Royal Rumble, first time back in that building in 20 years. I am reminded of the fact that Shawn Michaels, in that very building in 1997, wrestled Sid for the championship with the flu and won the title. Ellsworth needs to man up. But anyway, uh, every time they push this match back and they push it back and they push it back... I grow increasingly worried that AJ's ankle is worse off than they're letting on. Because they're very secretive about certain things when it comes to injuries and the medical and all that kind of stuff. And 
Right now, he's due back after Christmas. They have their post-Christmas shows, like in Madison Square Garden and other places. He's due back then. I would say if they delay his return again, if he doesn't come back on those shows and they push him back again, even if it is just for a week, uh, I think we got a real problem here. I think we have a real reason at that point to be concerned. I mean, he looked like he was walking around fine on that ankle on TV this week. He wasn't limping. He wasn't on crutches or a boot anymore. Or anything like that. But that doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean that there's not something going on. I mean, look, I jacked my own ankle yesterday somehow. I don't even know how I did it. Uh, But I'm walking around on it okay today, right? Now, granted, I also have my ankle wrapped up like a mummy, so I don't feel anything. So that could probably be why. But that, to me, would be a big, big red flag. If they push this back and he's not back on those post-Christmas shows, that ain't good. Dolph Ziggler won a fatal four-way elimination match against Dean Ambrose, Luke Harper, and The Miz in the main event to earn a championship match against AJ Styles uh, on SmackDown. Not this Tuesday, but next, assuming he is ready to go by then. Uh, match was good, but the Miz TV segment that opened the show, which set this whole main event up, very bizarre. It was It was a very bizarre segment once. I mean, they had the initial banter back and forth with AJ and Miz, and that was fine. But then Ambrose came out, and then Ziggler came out, and that's where it just got very weird. Um, Ambrose came out first. Ziggler came out. He cut a promo on Miz, talked about how all Miz ever does is hide behind his wife's skirt. Right? He's insulting the Miz, his manhood. This offended Miz, who got back in the ring and basically beat Ziggler's ass and laid him out with the skull-crushing finale. (laughs) It was like, what a freaking loser this guy is. What a loser this made Ziggler out to be. The babyface comes down to talk trash to the chicken shit heel, and the chicken shit heel gets into the ring, doesn't back down, and lays the dumb babyface out with his move. And then, to make matters worse, as Styles is backing out, he's like, I'm getting out of here. He's walking away, Ambrose is staring a hole in him. Ziggler finally just like stumbles back to his feet, and Dean Ambrose, the other babyface, lays him out with dirty deeds. So, it's like, so Ziggler comes out of this looking like a complete buffoon. So naturally, this means that he beats them all to win the main event and earn the championship match. Because of course. Because of course. I mean, and between this, between like booking like this, and and him being unable to win the Intercontinental title back from Miz, I'm sure people are just super excited to see him try to take the title from AJ Styles. You know, it's like... Doesn't it stand to reason that the the indifference a lot of people feel towards Dolph Ziggler these days has as much to do with the way that he's booked and portrayed on television in segments like that than anything he himself may be doing? Right? I mean, isn't it obvious? How does that help him? How does that help anyone in that situation? When you're when you're made to look like such a jabron and oh well he's gonna win. It's like that whole mentality of, well, we have somebody who's going to win money in the bank, right? And so they win money in the bank, they win the briefcase, the briefcase gives them, it gifts them a championship match anytime they want in the next 12 months. They're supposed to be a big deal now because they got that briefcase, and it all but guarantees that they're going to be a champion at some point. And they've done this in the past, not with everybody, but they've done this a number of times in the past, where they'll just beat the guy for weeks and weeks and months on end. I think they did it with Daniel Bryan before he won the world title. He had that briefcase for a few months. 
there were pay-per-views he wasn't even on, but he would get beaten and beaten and beaten, and it's like, well, he's got a briefcase, so it's fine, we can we can beat him. Yeah, but then when he cashes in, if he does become the champion, you know, unless you got somebody who the fans are just really that into, like they ended up being with Brian, it's like, it's no wonder that nobody can really get behind these like top baby faces or really get behind and buy into some of these heels or that we'll, we'll never again have another Austin or Rock level guy. Because Austin and Rock, I mean, you, you talk about a complete difference in like booking and mentality. I don't remember Steve Austin being booked that way. I don't remember Rock being booked that way. Not as a baby face, maybe as a heel, but it's like, it's almost like this cause and effect. What's the word I'm looking for here? It's like, if we wish it, it will happen that way. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Why won't these guys get over? Why can't Dolph Ziggler just become the star that we always thought he would be? Gee, I wonder. It's segments like this. It's just completely idiotic to me. I don't give it. I mean, look, I'm sure him and AJ will go in there if AJ can go and they'll have a good match, right? They're two of the best in-ring guys on SmackDown. But who in their right mind is actually going to buy into the fact that this guy's going to win the championship? But who's going to care? Who could possibly care at this point? And this is just one example. But boy, I mean, this was just screaming at me when it was... I was laughing. I can't even be, like, angry or upset anymore. I mean, it's like, it is what it is, but... Do they not realize this, or do they just not care, or... I I don't know. I don't know. Maybe my first problem is trying to figure out what the what the actual thought process is here, because maybe there is no thought process. Maybe they just do things. They just do things. Like the Joker in the, in the Dark Knight. I just do things, right? Uh, and finally here, the Hype Bros... Won a tag team battle royal to become number one contenders to the Wyatt family and their tag titles. Short-lived, though, was their number one contendership because Zack Ryder injured his knee at the finish of the match. And you know, it's been a while since Zack Ryder earned sad tweet honors here on this podcast. The award was, was practically named for him when I started doing it. After the injury on SmackDown, he went for tests, later tweeted, Flew to Birmingham, Alabama this morning and not for a vacation. Birmingham is where uh, Dr. Andrews is based. He's operated on many knees and quads for WWE over the years. And then later he tweeted again, getting knee surgery today and missing Rogue One. But everything happens for a reason. I will be back. WrestleMania 32 was just the beginning. By the way, it's funny he mentions Rogue One. I saw Rogue One on Friday. Uh, I would hardly call myself a big Star Wars fan. I'm not going to give spoilers, so don't worry, but... I, you know, Star Wars, Star Trek, I, I really don't care. Uh, but I got invited to, there was like a company private screening. It was great too, because with the private screening, like the one I went to, you go and sitting on the seat are free refreshments. You got a popcorn already sitting there. You got a cup to go fill it with soda, water, whatever it is that you want. And, uh, there's no previews. So once the start time, let's say seven o'clock at seven o'clock, the movie just starts. <laughs> it was like, wow. I have not been to a movie in a long time where that happened. Like, no announcements beforehand. Turn your phone off, you know, zip your pants, whatever. And and then going into 18 movie previews. It was actually kind of nice. Uh, and I actually liked the movie, too. Uh, but as I said on Twitter, I was just wondering the whole time, you know, when it was over. It's like, where the hell was Dr. Spock? I was very disappointed. Obviously, this is terrible news for Zack Ryder. Terrible timing. He literally, literally... Hurt his knee on the last 
move of the battle royal that he won. The very last move hurt his knee. And by virtue of that win, his team was going to be in line for a tag team championship match against the Wyatt family, which I'm sure they were going to lose. But at least he's he's trying to stay optimistic about things. And uh, he's expected to be out at least four to six months. So this is not a minor knee injury. He didn't say what the injury is. I don't know. It must be some kind of a tear of something. Because if he's going to be out at least four to six months, that's serious surgery. So he's going to be gone for a while. And unfortunately for Mojo Rawley, he's, you know, going to get screwed by this too. And and I've mentioned this before. When you're in a tag team, it's tough. Because if one guy, you know, behaves badly, look at the Ascension. Look at the Ascension. Connor from the Ascension was not originally teamed up with Rick Victor. Rick Victor was just some guy on NXT who became Victor. He got plugged into the Ascension. It's like when Demolition started. There's been a lot of talk about Demolition this week, right? Well, Demolition was not originally Bill Eady and, and uh, Barry Darso. Barry Darso wasn't in the act. It was somebody else. Randy Cully, he was playing Smash. It was very brief. I forgot the reason why he was taken out of there, but they plugged in somebody new to be Smash. In that case, it worked out. With the Ascension, I do think it was a weaker team, though, because Kenneth Cameron, who is, uh, you know, the original partner with Connor, uh, I think, would have been much better in the role, and and he had his own issues and got arrested and was basically, you know, doing stupid shit he shouldn't have been doing. So he ended up going to TNA's Bram, but the Ascension, they plugged somebody new in there, you know? And, and so I, I look at this and I say to myself, here's another example of what can happen when you're in a tag team, whether it's somebody who does something wrong or somebody who gets hurt. You know, you're on the verge of a big break or a big match or whatever, and then in a moment's notice, through no fault of your own, you're fucked over too. And it's not because of anything Mojo did. It's, you know, it's it it's the nature of being part of a tag team. It's tough. It's tough. You can't just worry about your own stuff. You got to worry about what your partner is doing too. So Mojo gets screwed over because of it, and he actually posted a really cool tribute to Zach on his Instagram page if you want to go check that out. Uh, just talking about how when they were first presented with the idea of being a team, neither one of them really liked it very much. They were not happy. But how, you know, Ryder has come to be uh, basically like family to him and and that sort of thing. It's kind of like one of these mushy tributes. And here's hoping he comes back as quickly as he can. I mean, Zack Ryder has had uh, his ups and his downs. You know, he got a very cool moment at WrestleMania this year, winning the Intercontinental title. Uh, I thought it was completely idiotic that they took it away from him the next night. They could have run with that for a little bit, but look, I can go, I could say that about Zack Ryder's career, about a lot of other instances over the years where it's like, why did they do that? Why? Oh, they gave him the U.S. title. Why, why did they take it right off of him when he was at the peak of his popularity? That didn't really make a lot of sense. There's a history of this with uh, Zack Ryder, but. Here's hoping he comes back and uh, can get plugged back into things. So I think the Battle Royal, it wasn't uh, as bad as some Battle Royals that I've seen before. So that's that's a compliment. And the main event I thought was really good. So And we got a Luke Harper main event appearance, which doesn't happen very often. So I think, and, and Luke Harper to me is a main event caliber talent. So that was cool to see him be part of that. Uh, the rest of the show, you know, it, it was it was there. It was It was a show. I'm actually not wearing pants, and that's how I watch NXT every single week.
They did things in reverse this week on NXT. They gave us the main event with Joe and Nakamura first instead of at the end of the show. Uh, they were in Melbourne, Australia for their steel cage match. The final match, I, I think, I hope, between them for the NXT Championship. Nakamura won with the Kinshasa. And I felt exactly the same way about it that I did as their match last week. It just, it just didn't do anything for me. It didn't, now it didn't help that apparently they cut a bunch of stuff out and they shortened it. Uh, I was told by people who were actually there for the show in Japan, they did the same thing. The match was a lot longer, it was better, but it was edited for TV and shortened. How much this one was shortened, I don't know if it would have made a difference or not. Uh, as a cage match, especially, it just, it, again, it's like, eh, didn't have to be a cage match. You know, the cage barely even came into play. No real uh, escape attempts or anything like that. And, I mean, no blood, obviously. I mean, I'm not expecting that. But it just, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what it was. But it was just a match. I'm actually really happy this feud is over. Uh, I think the best thing for these two guys right now is to just move on to someone else. Each one of them can, you know, Joe. My guess is Joe. Hopefully that means for him the Royal Rumble. Uh, moving on up. And for Nakamura, my guess would be that's going to be Bobby Roode at the next TakeOver show. I guess we'll find out, uh, I guess this week. They're going to be having the Fatal 4-Way match to terminate number one contender for the championship. Suddenly, we were back at full sale for the rest of this show. And with Percy Watson back on commentary. He was not on commentary for the cage match. But there he was back on commentary. He added nothing of any value or substance to the show. We had a series of singles matches with the winners advancing to the Fatal 4-Way coming up this week on TV to determine a new number one contender. Ty Dillinger beat Eric Young of Sanity when Nikki Cross ran in for the DQ, got her own man DQ'd. That's how crazy she is. After the match, we saw Big Demo again, this time without a shirt, which was quite the sight to see. Uh, he laid out Dillinger. How appropriate that we have Roadblock tonight and... Watching this, I just couldn't help but think that this guy <laughs> looked exactly like a roadblock from WCW. Uh, and if you don't believe me, look up a picture of roadblock from WCW and do the side-by-side -side with Big Demo and tell me I'm wrong. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Uh, in other qualifying matches, we had Andrade Cien Almas beating No Way Jose. Roderick Strong beat the Drifter with a sick kick, which Corey Graves called by its name. And Bobby Roode beat Oni Lorkin with his implant DDT. I don't know if he has a name for it or not. I guess you can call it, you know, the glorious DDT or something. I thought this was a pretty boring show, honestly. Uh, it furthered things along with their little tournament and, you know, it was productive in that way. But I just thought even with the cage match, I thought overall this was a pretty boring show. One thing that was not boring was TNA Impact. And whether or not that's a good thing or a bad thing, I suppose, depends on your own personal tastes. Uh, I watched Total Nonstop Deletion last night. I was very behind this week. I didn't know if I was going to have time to watch it, but I, I watched it last night, all of it. My first TNA show in months. 
Uh, I knew they had filmed it from the Hardy compound in Cameron, so I guess just sort of assumed that that meant there would be no commentary from Josh Matthews on this show. I was very disappointed to hear his voice. Constipated as always. We had King Maxwell's very first match. He pinned Rockstar Spud. Maxwell is only a year old, by the way. Has amazing hair. I will give him that. The only second, I think, to uh, young Dylan Blade in uh, in the Brian Blade household, who has uh, maybe the most amazing hair on a young kid I've seen. But Maxwell's, Maxwell's not too far behind. We had uh, lots of cameos on this show. A lot of cameos. We had the Rock and Roll Express, or the Express that Rock and Rolls, as Broken Matt called them. Disco Inferno. Road Warrior Animal. Took time away from uh, his his head injury uh, suit against WWE. Perhaps he didn't know where he was and happened to just wander onto the property. We were never told. We had the Hurricane, Shane Helms, who was both Shane Helms and later on he was the Hurricane. And also reprised his uh, character or uh, persona, whatever you want to call it, from the days of Three Count in WCW. We had an appearance by Hornswoggle, who now just goes by Swoggle. It's a good thing they never stuck with that little bastard name in WWE. Now he would just be the bastard. ODB was back. I don't know if uh, she's been back for months now and I just didn't know, but she was on this show. I haven't seen her in a long time. She was looking quite, um, uh, you know, very pronounced in certain parts of her body. Maybe more so than I remember. So that's good. Uh, so just to recap here. We had a one-year-old wrestle a no-disqualification match and win. We had a drone come out during another match to make the count after a ref bump. We had Shane Helms falling into a lake and being reincarnated as the Hurricane. Ricky Morton brawled with Jeff Hardy 30 feet in the air on a pair of raised platforms, uh, but only after the Rock and Roll Express and the Hardy shot Roman candles at Abyss and Crazy Steve. The same Abyss who later killed a man by caving his head in with a giant rock. And Crazy Steve fell into a volcano that shot him way up into the air. And he landed in the ring and was pinned. So the Hardys retained their tag team titles. I think that pretty much covers all the key stuff. And by the way, in a week where the New Day broke Demolition's record and retained their tag team titles when you compare the two, I would say the way the Hardys retained their titles, far more impressive. I think they trumped the New Day this week. Far more impressive. But I think that covers all the key stuff. Really, the only thing that was missing was Del Rio and the Ninja Turtle. I think that would have put it over the top. Like, that would have been the cherry on top. But look, if you like the Broken Mat stuff, you probably love this. If you don't, then this was your worst nightmare. This was definitely not the show for you. Like, nobody show this to Jim Cornette because he might literally have a stroke. Just watching all of these guys, like, including Lashley, including Eddie Edwards, their world champion, walking out in front of an audience of maybe 50 people in Matt Hardy's barn is such a metaphor for TNA. I cannot think of a better metaphor for the last... Their whole existence has kind of led to this point. It's almost like you knew it would come to this point... I mean, this is all satire and stuff, but again, I'm, I'm like part joking here, but what a great metaphor for TNA that it would come to that. <laughs> These two guys are walking out for a world championship match in a barn on Matt Hardy's property. But I, look, I enjoyed it. 
I actually enjoyed m- most of it. I mean, some of it I just was like, okay, this is this is really just like out of control. I didn't recognize a lot of the guys. Like these two guys showed up wearing suits. I forgot what they called themselves, that but they turned out to be pretty good wrestlers. I, I don't know who they are. I, I don't know. I didn't recognize some people. Uh, you know, I knew Trevor Lee and and some of these other people, but um, but for the most part, I enjoyed it. I don't know that I needed two straight hours of it. It kind of reminded me of NWO Nitro in that respect, in that you've got a hot act. Uh, it sounds like a great idea on paper. Let's give them an entire show. In execution, it was this was way more fun than NWO Nitro was. But maybe maybe there is a limit to how much of this they should be giving people all at once. I don't know that I would. I don't know that I could tolerate two hours of this, for example, every single week. Monthly, maybe. Uh, but probably not every single week. My favorite part, though, I have to say of the entire thing, was after Matt and Hurricane had got done literally burying, uh, who was, it might have been Trevor Lee and, uh, Andrew Everett. Burying these guys, Matt looks up at the camera and he goes, even the man with three H's would be impressed with our ability to bury younger talent or something to that effect. And then they each flash like a cheesy grin and a thumbs up at the camera. I thought that was amusing. Uh, at the end of it all, Rebby reveals, the big payoff at the end is that Rebby Sky reveals that she is pregnant with their second child. The second hearty spawn is on its way. And I cannot wait for the inevitable jealous Maxwell storyline and heel turn. Uh, we have one more bit of TNA news. I'm not going to mention the Jeff Jarrett stuff. I know some people probably are waiting for me to comment on that. Jeff Jarrett was back in the news this week. Apparently he's had meetings with the head of Anthem Sports. And there's rumors, oh, he's coming back to TNA. <clears throat> My understanding of the whole thing is that the guy from Anthem is having conversations with a lot of different people who are familiar with TNA from their, you know, business dealings over the years. He's trying to get a handle on the company in a lot of different ways. He's probably at about that point right now as I speak where he's realizing like, oh shit, what did I get myself into? But I guess he's had conversations or meetings with Jeff Jarrett, but that really is, as far as anybody knows, the nature and the extent of them. I don't know that there's any sort of relationship being forged it doesn't mean Jeff Jarrett is coming back if it did it would be comical to me you talk about one step forward five steps back that's the kind of story of TNA from over the years TNA at this point if they're gonna survive and try to grow and expand they've got new ownership they've got to move forward this is it they've got new owners you can't look back you gotta look forward Jeff Jarrett is a symbol of TNA's past you don't look back to Jeff Jarrett you look ahead hopefully they realize that but right now, there is no news to report. It's just conversations. It doesn't mean he's coming back. But the the thing I did want to mention, though, concerns somebody who is under contract to TNA right now and could be their future. Uh, the Wrestling Observer reported this week that WWE is interested in bringing back Sean Ricker, who spent time in developmental many years ago, as Slate Randall. That was the name they gave him. He is the current Eli Drake in TNA. At the time he was released, which was something of a surprise, the talk was that they were unhappy with some of his social media activity, things he was tweeting, and that may have had something to do with him being released. But he's a guy, I, I don't I don't talk much about TNA anymore, other than the, the Matt Hardy stuff, but I haven't been following him as much. But many years ago, on the Sound Off, I did one of my prediction shows. It was the first show of 2014. 
And I singled him out specifically as one of my Dark Horse NXT picks to watch out for. And he hadn't yet debuted in the ring on the NXT roster on, on television. But I was mentioning his name as a potential Dark Horse to watch out for. And, and not as somebody who I thought was going to end up on the main roster that year or anything like that. But just somebody who I thought could be a big star in NXT. And could potentially go on to much bigger things. I want to play some of that audio for you right now. It's not long. It's, it's between a minute, minute and a half. But I, I think it's apropos in light of this news to play some of this and, and kind of take you uh, back in the Wayback Machine here, uh, almost, I guess, three years ago now, to this clip. This is from Sound Off episode 308. And the third and final name I'll mention here is Slate Randall. This may be the dark horse here. And a lot of people probably have no idea who this guy is. Slate Randall, real name Sean Ricker. Formerly of Championship Wrestling from Hollywood. The last man Paul Bear managed as Percy Pringle before he died last year. You can look up some of the guy's work on YouTube, especially his promo work. I've always been impressed by him. From when I first heard about him and him being signed, I went, I looked, I watched some of his matches, some of the promo work he's done. He carries himself very well in general. He also carried himself very well on, on Rock's reality show on TNT, The Hero. He's a guy who hasn't even technically made his NXT television debut yet. The The only appearance I remember Slate Randall making, and I don't even think they mentioned him by name, was three weeks ago when they had that Lumberjack match with Bo Dallas against Adrian Neville, and he was one of the Lumberjacks outside the ring. Half the Lumberjacks that were out there, I couldn't even name in a lineup. I recognized him, though. But I don't think he's made a proper debut yet, which is why I put him in this category, because for him to not even be on NXT... And the idea that he'll be on the main roster within six months, I think, is a bit of a stretch. But he's a guy to watch out for. Because when I look at him and I listen to him, this guy can be a star. There's something about him, I think. He could be He could be big. Yeah, he could be. That's how I felt about Sean Ricker then. I still think he could be something big now. If WWE does legitimately have interest in him, I think that's a good thing. I think that's a good sign. I'd like to see him get another shot, although I just... Don't know what his contract situation is with TNA. He could be locked up for a while longer. Nobody really knows. Uh, but he could still be somebody big. He just needs the exposure. I don't know that he's going to get that in TNA. But even if he stays in TNA, you got new management, right? A new outlook on things. I think he's somebody that you could build around. I think he could be one of those guys that's in the, the, the top mix in the company. Lucha Underground. Let me run through these results real quick. Speaking of uh, tournaments, you know, NXT has their uh, fatal four-way coming up this week to determine a new number one contender. They've been having qualifying matches. Here on this show, Dario Cueto's concept was the Battle of the Bulls. And we're going to have a series of four-ways, and it's going to build to another, I guess, a four-way at the end. And we'll have, uh, I guess, a new number one contender. I think that's the point. So we had Jeremiah Crane in the opening uh, four-way here, beating Killshot, Dante Fox, and Mariposa. In another Battle of the Bulls tournament match to advance to the finals, uh, Crane gave Dante Fox a chair shot to the head. Just a dead-on chair shot to the head. And I'm just watching this and I'm saying, put your fucking hands up. Like, is it really that difficult, dude? Like, put your fucking hands up. What the hell's wrong with you? Aside from that, uh, this was a lot of fun. Uh, Mariposa beat the hell out of all of them with chairs at one point. Not unprotected to the head. Uh, but she would pick one up and throw it at them. Like, they're all laying on the mat, like, trying to, like, huddle and cover. Like, <laughs> protect themselves. 
She's picking up a chair, throws it at one guy, picks up another chair, throw, and this just went on and on and on. Uh, and she was like a machine in there. So this was after a giant uh, Tower of Doom spot with the other three. That's why they were all laid out. Crane finished off Fox with the uh, double underhook pile driver for the win. All I could say is, like, I'm watching this Jeremiah Crane fellow here, and I'm thinking to myself, where was this Sammy Callahan in NXT? He might still be there if this was if we saw this version of him. Instead, he fell into the whole Andrade Cien Almas category of, like, good workers who came in with some fanfare, and they just sort of fizzled out. I mean, Almas is still there. You never know what may happen to him. Maybe he'll become a big star. But you can't tell me that that guy has any buzz around him right now. The only buzz around him is if he's got, uh, you know, fr- freaking fleas that are literally buzzing around him. He's got nothing going on right now in terms of fanfare, in terms of buzz, in terms of, hey, I want to see this guy. Hey, this guy's got big things lined up for him. He's just there. And that's kind of what happened to Sammy Callahan when he was, uh, what was his name in NXT? Oh, I already forgot his name. <laughs> I forgot his NXT name. What was his NXT? He was the hacker guy. Uh, I can't remember his name. Well, somebody will remind me. But I, I kind of feel the same way. But I'm watching this and I'm like, if we saw this guy, there's no way they would have cut him. Or, or he might have actually requested his release. Whatever it was, there's no way he'd be gone. He'd be there right now. And, uh, and he'd be doing pretty well for himself. Maybe he'd only be on 205 Live, but whatever it is, I think he would be doing a hell of a lot better had we seen this version of him there. We saw Sexy Star shadow boxing in the back and then getting frightened by a giant spider that somebody placed inside her locker. This infuriated her. And so later on, she's out looking for Peter Parker, I guess. But she passes by Mary Posa in the hallway instead. The same Mary Posa who she once vanquished in a in a match and told her to her face, said, fuck you, and then she beat her. So they end up fighting. Mary Posa throws the first punch. They end up fighting in the hallway. Sexy Star gets her up against the wall. She accuses her of putting the spider in her locker. This is the woman challenging for the Lucha Underground Championship in a cage match this Wednesday, by the way. She's going nuts accusing people of putting spiders in her locker. Mary Posa denies it. I had nothing to do with it, she said. But she was being very sarcastic about it because, let's be honest here, how can you not be when somebody accuses you of something so stupid? So Sexy Star now, in a fit of rage, instead of punching her for some reason, punches a hole into the cardboard wall right beside her head, and they cut away. One of the dumbest segments in the history of the show, right there. The only real payoff that could really make this worthwhile is if Spider-Man himself appears on the show next week and costs her the title against Johnny Mundo. Actually, that'd be a hell of an idea. It's too bad the show's already taped or else I would tell them to try to work on that. Work out some kind of deal with, uh, was it Sony or whoever, whoever owns, uh, actually was it Sony who owns Spider-Man, I think, and then uh, Marvel got it back? That's a whole convoluted mess all by itself. I think, I don't know who exactly owns the rights to what anymore. Uh, I know it's not Robert Rodriguez though, so we're not gonna get Spider-Man. Maybe we'll get some variation of Spider-Man on the show. We had Drago and Cobra Moon. One of Cobra Moon's reptilian hitmen ran down to attack Drago before, uh, before, I think it was before the match was over, but Phoenix and Aerostar ran down to make the save, try to even things out. And then out walked a giant man, a big man, every bit of 
six eight, six ten. I think they called him seven feet, but you know how they can exaggerate. He was probably uh, legit six nine or six ten or something. He comes walking out wearing a lizard mask. He actually reminded me of Mortis from WCW. And then when he got in the ring, he stepped over the top rope. He gave a double choke slam to Phoenix and Aerostar. He gave a tombstone to Drago. And all of a sudden, he reminded me of Kane. So I guess that makes him a mix between Mortis and Kane. He then carried Drago's dead body off to presumably their cave or wherever they live. This was wacky, but I will say I thought the mask looked really cool. I actually thought that the uh, the lizard giant, they were chanting Luchasaurus at him. I thought his mask was pretty badass. Main event, we had PJ Black beating Jack Evans on Helico and Son of Havoc in another Battle of the Bulls match to advance to the finals. This was Angelico's first match back in months. In the spot of the night, which I had to go back and rewind a few times because of how insane it looked. PJ and Son of Havoc are outside. Angelico is up top with Jack Evans and he gives him a suplex off the top rope out to the floor. Now, I guess the other two were supposed to catch him or catch both of them, break their fall, but it looked to me like Evans basically missed all of them and landed on the floor. That was pretty crazy. So the match ended with PJ laying down in the ring and telling Evans to pin him, which got a finger uh, a finger poke of doom uh, reference by Matt Stryker on commentary. And when Evans went in, he got suckered into a uh, roll-up. So PJ Black bamboozled his partner, pinned him, And so he is now going to the finals. We ended the show with a vignette showing Rey Mysterio laying in bed in a dojo somewhere, still healing from his back injury sustained at the hands of the evil monster Matanza. When all of a sudden Dragon Azteca Jr., unannounced, walks in to tell Rey that I now know why you chose me. Now it all makes sense. He understands his destiny. His destiny is to go after the monster Matanza. That's what he says. So I guess basically his destiny is to die a horrible fucking death because that's exactly what's going to happen to him. Ray tries to talk him out of it because he's a smart guy. He knows this is not going to end well. And he tells him, look, it's my fight. It's not your fight. Don't do this. But Azteca will not be, will not be moved. He will not have his mind changed. He is set in his ways. He has vowed to end Matanza's life. And he walked out. And Mysterio literally did a facepalm as they went off the air. <laughs> like, even he realizes this kid is fucked. A facepalm is how they went off the air. I've ended many a Monday Night Raw show in my living room with one of those, but I do believe this is the first time Lucha Underground has ended with one of those. So that was the show. Let's get to your mailbag questions here. If you have them, you can email them to me, thesolomonster, at gmail.com. Please include your name and where you are from when you write in, if you want to uh, better your chances of getting your question read. Steve, from the UK. I think WWE's plan to give UK talents more exposure is good for the UK talent to get noticed, but I feel it will not help the British wrestling scene and promotions like ICW, WCPW, and Progress. If anything, WWE will be like a big... Suction Dredger dragging all of the best UK talent out. WCPW will likely become a new developmental zone for future WWE stars like the old OVW model. The only reason I think WWE is doing this is as a knee-jerk reaction to ITV bringing back World of Sport. 
and ICW in progress and other UK-based companies doing very well. Is WWE doing this to make sure they will be number one worldwide and make sure they kill off the steam that British wrestling has been gathering? Well, if you ask them, they're not looking to kill off anything. They love everybody. They want to be friends with everyone. Obviously, their goal is to be as profitable, as big, as strong as they can possibly be. Their interest and their motives are not to be nice. They're not to share the pie. So anybody who thinks that is just being foolish. So as I said earlier, when I talked about this whole thing, I do think they're longer. there's a longer-term goal here for them. Uh, I kind of joked. It's like global domination. But I, I wasn't really joking completely. I was only partially joking. I do think that they have a vision for setting up some kind of a system uh, where they're going to go around the world and they're going to do this. They're going to do this in the UK. They're going to do this in Japan. They're going to do this in Mexico. They may do it in Canada uh, and other places in the world, especially places where wrestling seems like it's hot and they, they feel like uh, they could do good business there. Um, I think that, now you mentioned, you know, is this a knee-jerk reaction to world of sport? And look, obviously that's part of it. I talked about that earlier. ITV apparently has major... Uh, penetration over in the UK. Their top shows are viewed by many millions of people. Raw, even in the UK, doesn't have that many viewers on whatever network they're on. Uh, I also mentioned there was, I think, an ICW show just recently, in fact, in the last maybe month or so from uh, the Hydro or whatever that had a crowd of like six or 7,000. Believe me, WWE knows all about that. They have taken notice of that. And when you have a company that's actually playing to big buildings and doing... Five, six, seven thousand people, all of a sudden their ears start to perk up because now you're talking their language. I don't think WWE sweats anybody if they're doing 500 people or a thousand people, but between the world of sport thing and between some of these companies doing really, really well, it's no, it's no big shock that all of a sudden WWE is moving in on their turf you know, with the idea that, well, you know, we're all going to work together and we're going to work in harmony and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I, I do think that there's a much bigger plan here, and I think people just have to be careful. You know, I mean, it'd be very alluring if I'm an independent promoter in the UK and WWE comes calling and says, hey, you want to develop some kind of a working relationship? I, I wouldn't say no. I certainly would be open to it. But believe me, at some point, it's going to become more than that. And I just think people need to be, you know, they, they got to be careful here. Because WWE has one interest and one interest in mind, and that's WWE. At the end of the day, that's what they're interested in. That's what they care about. Gavin from Newcastle, England. Do you believe with the creation of the new UK championship, we are seeing the beginning of a new territorial system under the WWE banner on a global scale? In the future, do you think we will see other championships created in places like Japan, South America, and Mexico? Rather than trying to have one-size-fits-all as a policy to their television, WWE would be able to create shows that are... Indicative to that country. We may even get a touring champion who goes around each new territory. WrestleMania could become a truly global event where all these new territories come together to create an even bigger show. Uh, I do. I think uh, at some point, I just like I just said, we're going to have something similar in Japan. Which is exactly what uh, Kidani was talking about this week. Uh, the president of Bushy Road, which owns New Japan, he publicly came out and made statements to that effect, that he thinks they're going to acquire a promotion in Japan, that that's their goal, and they're going to create their own little Japanese territory, and he feels like they're getting increasingly 
uh, I don't know if hostile is the right word, but it's more of a, okay, you're either with us or against us mentality. This is the president of New, of New Japan talking. So, yeah, I do think that, that that's what's going on here. I think what's going on here also is they're booking for the network. That's really what they're doing now. They're booking for the network. That's how we have to look at it. What countries have access to the WWE network? And can we produce stuff to get more of those people to sign up for it? Because at the end of the day, it all comes back to boosting the the subscriber numbers. They have staked everything on this network. So they're going to spend and spend and acquire and spend and do what they have to now to make sure that on the back end, this thing is a rousing success. And I think in their, in their bubble, everything is a revolving around the network. And so that's how people, that's the prism through which I think people need to look at this. You know, your WrestleMania idea, I think is actually a really interesting one. I hadn't thought about if they did what you just suggested, WrestleMania would, would, I mean, effectively, it would become like WWE's version of the World Baseball Classic, where you bring together the champions from all these different places to either wrestle each other on the show, or they can defend their title on the on the WrestleMania card against one of their own native, uh, you know, countrymen. It doesn't have to be against the, you know, the the champion from Japan wrestles AJ Styles. Although I think that would be kind of cool, but. It's an interesting idea, and I would argue that if they're going to do that, then they're going to have to book a WrestleMania in the UK or another country not named Canada. They've been to Canada a few times. That's fine. I like those Canada WrestleManias. The the crowd there is always fun. But at some point, they've got to bite the bullet. They've got to go back to the UK for a big pay-per-view, or they've got to do something maybe at the Tokyo Dome in Japan. I mean, I know they've been afraid to do it for logistical reasons and time zone differences and what have you, they haven't they haven't done a pay-per-view on like a big major scale outside of North America since 1992. That's a long time. Now with the network and all of this going on, give me one good reason why they shouldn't try. Maybe then the UK folks will finally get that big pay-per-view they've been waiting for for almost uh, 25 years. Derek from Columbus, Ohio. With the Young Bucks revealing this week that AJ Styles tried to convince them to come to WWE with him, how different do you think things would have uh, would be right now if Matt and Nick had debuted the club with AJ instead of Anderson and Gallows? Do you think that they would have been booked stronger and have more importance on the show, or would they be in the same position that Anderson and Gallows are in right now? Honestly, I, I don't think it would have made a lick of difference. Once they decided that they wanted New Day to break that record... First of all, they decided that they wanted to break up the club, which I still don't understand. That was the first decision. And then the second decision was, all right, we want the New Day to break that record. And so I think Anderson and Gallows, more than anything else, I don't think there was like a hidden agenda or anything against them. Uh, hey, let's let's you know bury the new guys. I think they were a victim of, of timing. Once they broke up the club, at that point they became a victim of timing because of the whole New Day record thing. You know, so the die was cast. At that point, for pretty much every other team on Raw, the die was cast. Assuming they would have ended up on Raw, the, the Young Bucks, had they come over, they would have been in the exact same spot. Probably a zillion matches with New Day, but no belts. I mean, honestly, I think they're better off where they are right now. I mean, they made a decision that they felt was in their best interest. I commend them for it. 
I think they made the best decision right now that they can make. And in two years, if they do come in, they might be in a better position. Unless WWE just buries the shit out of them. But they might actually be better off waiting another couple of years. And at that point, make the jump. David from San Jose. I have a two-part question about The Miz and his recent success on SmackDown Live. Do you believe he should be... uh, A, he should have a run with the WWE Championship... And also, is he a future WWE Hall of Famer? Well, so long as AJ Styles is on SmackDown, I would say no to a run with the championship. I would not slot The Miz over AJ Styles in the pecking order on that brand. But I am not against a WWE title run for The Miz at some point later in 2017. And and that's something I would never (laughs) have expected to hear myself say. Uh, and anybody who listens to this show knows that, you know, years ago, you it, it's not like after that wonderful run that he had in, uh, in, in 2011. And I will say that when he first won the championship from Randy Orton, he had those matches with Jerry Lawler, of all people. I was into that. I actually thought the matches he had with Lawler, and I thought Lawler was going to win. I thought they were going to give Lawler a token title win at the... Uh, February, I guess it would have been the Elimination Chamber pay-per-view, and they had supposedly thought about it, and they went back and forth, and they didn't do it. So it's not like Miz's run was a complete bust, I thought, as a heel and, and doing what he was doing. He was actually pretty good. And then he had that WrestleMania match with, with Cena, which is just, the less we say about that, the better. But then after that, you know, like ever since, it's like, I, okay, the Miz had his shot. Didn't exactly light the world on fire. Can we please stop talking about Miz being WWE champion again? And then Maurice came back. And they put the two of them together as a heel tandem. And they, you know, drafted Miz over to SmackDown. And I must say that Miz is, I think, one of the best heels in the company. I think second only to Charlotte. And I think he's having a pretty damn good run for himself right now. And I can now look at him and say, you know what? Sure. At some point, maybe later in the year, next year, I could see him being WWE champion. I'm not against the idea, but I would not, uh, you know, put the title on him in the next few months or right after WrestleMania over somebody like AJ Styles. That I would not do. It, to me, it, it's like a it's like a honky tonk man deal. Okay, honky tonk man also had super heat at his peak. He was hated. He was one of the biggest heels WWE had, like Miz is now. And I thought that Hockey Tonk Man made a, a fine Intercontinental Champion with everybody chasing after him. Could he have taken that heat and gotten a run with the WWF title? Yeah, it's, it, yeah, it's possible. But look at who they had on top at that point. Hulk Hogan, Randy Savage, Andre the Giant, Ted DiBiase. You're not going to take the Hockey Tonk Man, as much heat as he may have, and slot him above guys like that when you have those guys on the roster. You're not going to do that because he's not as good. (laughs) It's just he's not. He's not as good as those guys. And he will not make you, I don't think, the kind of money that those guys were going to make you. So as long as you have guys like that around, Honky, I think, was fine where he was. AJ, I'm not comparing AJ to Hulk Hogan. I'm just saying AJ is in another league when it comes to his matches, his ring work. Uh, I cannot see Miz headlining SmackDown pay-per-view after SmackDown pay-per-view in 15, 20, 25-minute matches with AJ on the undercard. I just don't see it. So when AJ is eventually dethroned, probably at WrestleMania, 
it's obviously going to be whoever is the top babyface doing the dethroning. Probably John Cena. Because you know John Cena didn't lose three times to AJ Styles not to get his win back. You know it's coming. So once Cena or whoever it is wins the championship and takes it off of Styles, Undertaker, whoever it may be, uh, maybe in the second half of 2017, if Miz and Maurice are still a hot heel act, that might be the time to actually give him a run. And it also makes it more likely because you got two titles again. It'd be a hell of a lot less likely if they had the one belt. Now they have two brands, they have two titles, they did the whole split. So there's no reason not to at some point. Now as far as the your, your Hall of Fame question goes, yes. The answer is yes. Miz is a WWE Hall of Famer. Ten years and counting in the company. Multiple championships. Not that titles really are, are you know, in and of themselves have any bearing on this, but... It does show that he's someone who's been in the mix, right? I mean, tag team titles, intercontinental title, U.S. title, WWF title. Uh, I think there was a money in the bank in there somewhere. So he, he's he been in the mix. You know, he hasn't been on the fringes. He's been in the mix. Uh, he's got a WrestleMania main event under his belt. He's been a great representative for the company. I see no reason for him at the end of the day not to go in. He's still young. He still has many more years left. He's got 10 years now. Maybe when he's done, it'll be 20. A lot harder at that point, I think, to argue against him. Daryl from Windsor, Ontario. A few years back, you pitched an idea for Big E, while he was with NXT, to bring back King Kong Bundy's five count. Personally, I am a fan of the idea. Doing it with Braun Strowman now, as we saw with the announcement of Sami Zayn versus Strowman at Roadblock with a 10-minute time limit. In my mind, that makes him look more like a monster by adding time limits to his matches, since we don't hear about time limits that often anymore. Do you believe adding layers to it like the five count would be a good idea to make him look even more like a monster? Uh, yeah, I, I suppose you can do that. I mean, I only suggested Big E bring it to the main roster. Because the whole five thing, it wasn't like a five count, I don't think. But he was doing the whole five thing where he would put up five fingers, people would chant five at him. Uh, that was his shtick. That was his thing in NXT. And then when he came to the main roster, it was like it never happened. And I still, to this day, I don't know why they abandoned it, because it was over. Now, I guess when he first came up, he was a heel, I think, right? He was with uh, Ziggler and AJ. Uh, I don't remember if that was the first thing he was doing when he came up. I think it was. So, but eventually, you know, when he transitioned out of that and he became a babyface, they could have brought it back, and they never did. Yaya from Harlem, New York. One of the most infamous moments in history was when David Schultz slapped 2020 reporter John Stossel, for saying, I think wrestling is fake. Schultz has always maintained that WWE officials put him up to it. Do you know exactly what happened? Also, was the fallout from this situation, what was the fallout is what he's asking. Um, Stossel was there interviewing wrestlers for a news piece. And he told Schultz on camera, like you said, like, I think wrestling is fake. And, you know, back then they were a lot more protective of the, the wrestling business than they are today. Uh, which is ironic, I'm answering this question after just answering a question about the Young Bucks and doing a review of Total Nonstop Deletion. Uh, the irony of this is not lost on me. So, Schultz slapped him. Twice. And he, I think he might have ruptured his eardrum on the, on the second slap. So, uh, Stossel sued the company. He won a lot of money from him for what happened, and Schultz got fired. 
were there agents that put him up to it and said, "Hey, look, this guy's being, uh, you know, being a dick. Just rough him up or something." I mean, who knows? Who knows? Did Vince tell him to slap the guy? I would be very surprised if that came from Vince directly. Vince McMahon, I would think, even in 1984, uh, is not telling one of his guys to smack a 2020 reporter on camera. That's just stupid. But who knows? O- only Schultz knows the truth. Uh, maybe one of the other wrestlers put him up to it, right? Again, who knows? Frankly, I think John Stossel was being an ass, saying that to the guy's face. You know, like when you're putting the whole report together, you want to do what they call like a stand-up and have him on camera saying, you know, there's been you know, this widely held belief or I think that it's fake. That's his prerogative. It's his news report, free country. He can say that if he wants to. But I thought he was being a bit of a dick the way that he said it. I'm not condoning what uh, Schultz did to him. Actually, I, I, I think it kind of ruined uh, the whole... The whole argument, because you could say, well, this guy's being disrespectful to these people. It's like you wouldn't go up to a magician and say, uh, you know, you're a fraud or say it to their face on, with a camera in front of them. Like, there's, you know, you have to have some tact. I mean, there's certain ways to, to do certain things. But once he smacked the guy twice, I mean, that was it. You talk about disrespect. You, you can't really justify that. You know what I mean? So, uh, Schultz went and smacked him and, uh, that's just something you don't do. And he paid the price for it. Cody from South Carolina. My question is in regards to surprisingly great matches. We've all had matchups that we see and we expect them to be great. What are some instances of matches you were expecting to be okay or good and wound up being great? For me, an example would be the hour-long match with John Cena and Shawn Michaels on Raw in 2007. Their WrestleMania 23 match was great, but I don't think anybody expected them to go out there and have a great hour-long match. Well, then you don't know too much about Shawn Michaels, my friend. <laughs> I was going to say, like, when I first saw, like, you included that match as an example, I'm like, really? I-, I figured that one, you know, would end up being pretty great because of who was involved. I mean, look, as a general rule of thumb, any match that has Shawn Michaels in it can never be surprisingly great, right? Some of them are not great. Some of them are just very good. But you can never, in my mind, have a surprisingly great Shawn Michaels match. Like, those don't exist. It's kind of assumed, right? Especially in his second run. I mean, this guy, he could practically walk on water. I mean, the the, the kind of matches that this guy had in his second run, and and I've answered that question before. Somebody asked me, like, buy or sell his first run or his second run, and it was like, wow. <laughs> how, do you, how do you pick? How do you pick? It really is the tale of, like, two different people. But as far as matches I did not expect to be great... Um, that turned out to be great. The first one I think of, you mentioned WrestleMania 23. That's what kind of sparked it in my head. Uh, Batista and The Undertaker from WrestleMania 23. I, I did not expect that match to be as good as it was. And you say Sean and, and Cena was great. I'm not going to argue with you on that show. They, they, they definitely had a really good match. To me, the match that stole the show, it wasn't Shawn Michaels and John Cena. It was The Undertaker and Batista. That was the match that stole the show. And I know those guys were pissed about being uh, left out of the main event. Because you had, you know, Raw versus SmackDown was still a thing back then. And you had the two world titles. And I remember them being pissed that they were not going to be in the main event. They found out they were going to be on, I think, in the middle of the show. They were not happy about that. And so they were extra motivated to go out there and have a great match. And they did. Uh, another match that I just thought of that I would throw in there, Shane McMahon and Kurt Angle. 
King of the Ring 2001 Street Fight. I mean, I, I know it's Kurt. Kurt's another one, right? Hard to not have a great match with Kurt Angle. And Shane was usually a lot of fun to watch. But that match, I thought that match was just fantastic. Uh, I don't, I don't think I expected it to be that good. So that's why I think I would, I would kind of lump that in here too. Uh, those are two that immediately come to mind. I mean, well, Hogan Warriors, another one you could throw in there. WrestleMania 6. Now, when I was a kid at the time, big Hulk Hogan fan, I wasn't thinking in those terms. Like, wow, that match was so much better than I expected it to be. I'm a kid, right? I'm not thinking like that. But watching it back, which I've done a bunch of times, it's actually a surprisingly good match for two guys who were not exactly known for having, uh, you know, their great in-ring work at the time, right? I mean, now, you got to be fair to them. Hogan had plenty of good matches. Him and Savage, I thought, had a really good main event at WrestleMania the year before. Warrior had that great match with Savage at WrestleMania 7. He had one with Rick Rude at SummerSlam 89. Uh, Jesse Ventura, by the way, was on point during that match. I actually thought him and Tony Schiavone were pretty well together there. But that was seriously, like, maybe the best I've ever heard Ventura on commentary was was during that match. Uh, that was an excellent match. I'm sure you guys can find others, you know, in, in the in the Facebook group or on YouTube. You can find uh, more that you can share with everyone else. Dominic from Los Angeles. Since WWE is struggling with the three-hour Raw format and building new stars, should Bruce Pritchard return to WWE? I I don't see how bringing Bruce Pritchard back is going to help with the three-hour format, but I, I'll tell you what, I'll give his podcast a shout-out. I'll do that. Uh, he's got a wrestling podcast now. It's one of the newer ones. It's hard to keep track of all of them, but I've listened to a few episodes. I'm actually really enjoying a lot of the throwback stuff. So my my sense of his show from listening to a few so far is he, they get fan feedback on a topic that they would like to hear him talk about. Because Pritchard was a guy, he was in like the inner circle. And he was in the company for a long time, going back to the the mid to late 80s. So he's got a lot of stories and kind of knows where some of the bodies are buried, so to speak. And and to hear him talk about uh, primetime wrestling, what it was like, you know, taping that show with Gorilla and Bobby back in the day. And the story behind WrestleMania 7 and Survivor Series 1990 and the Lex Express and all these different things. I, I find that stuff fascinating. I mean, newer fans might not give a shit, but uh, I like that kind of stuff. And I think Conrad is a, a good co-host for him. So if you want to give it a listen, I, I give it a recommendation. It's called Something to Wrestle With. I think it's over on uh, MLW Radio if you want to give it a listen. Uh, so I'll, I'll do that. But again, I don't know that him coming back is going to make a difference. I don't really see how that changes things. Davis from Tempe, Arizona. Buy or sell? ECW One Night Stand 2005 or ECW One Night Stand 2006? I gotta buy on 2005. Absolutely. Sell on 06, buy on 05. I've said before, 05 is one of my favorite pay-per-views I've ever watched. And this is coming from someone who wasn't even an ECW fan. I was like a casual fan at best back in the day, like the original ECW. Uh, but that pay-per-view that they did in 05 may have been the most fun I've ever had watching a WWE pay-per-view. And uh, finally here, Thomas the Promise. From Sydney, Australia. You've mentioned before that you would have liked to have been a fly on the wall for certain backstage events in history. So, buy or sell? 
on being a fly on the wall during the aftermath of the Montreal Screwjob or the plane ride from hell? Ah, the plane... I get a question about the plane ride from hell every couple of months at least. Uh, But here's the thing that you got to remember about that plane. That plane almost went down, okay? Why would I want to be a fly on the wall? Right? Well, that was the one, I think, where Brock Lesnar and Kurt Hennig were, like, wrestling in the aisleway, and there was talk that they, they almost, like, went into one of the doors, like, as as big as Brock Lesnar was. I'm sure that door was secured, but still. Yeah, I, uh, I could do without being a fly on the wall for that. No, thank you. I would have rather been there to see Vince get dropped by a punch. I'm gonna buy on Montreal, I'm gonna sell on the plane ride. Uh, so that's going to end the mailbag. I, there was one more thing I got to mention here. This is a non-wrestling story, but it may as well be like a wrestling storyline. It's it's just so ridiculous. I'm sure many of you have already heard about this. I tweeted it. This whole Deergate thing here in New York. How stupid is that? How stupid are, are these two morons too? So here's the, the very quick gist of the story. A deer... A buck, a young buck, you might say, with one antler, found its way somehow into New York City. How? Nobody knows. But I guess it was looking for a mate. Maybe it's mating season. Somehow it ended up in New York. And it ended up in a park. And there are laws and there are regulations in place that the city, you know, we, they can't do anything with the deer. They have to leave it alone. I don't know what all the rules are, but they were going to leave it. They were going to leave it and let it roam free in this park And they told people not to bother it and don't disturb it. Because if it got out of the park, if it became aggressive towards humans, they would have to kill it. I I guess that's the law. So the deer ended up getting out of the park. And so the mayor came out, Mayor Bill de Blasio here in New York, and he said, the deer has to be euthanized. We have to put it down. Now the governor of New York, Andrew Cuomo, hates Bill de Blasio. They apparently used to be friends. Now they're mortal enemies. It's been everyone who lives in New York knows the whole story. The governor hates the mayor. The mayor hates the governor. Uh, when they're up for re-election, one's going to try to have the other one primaried or undermine them. It's a whole mess. They don't like each other. So the governor comes out and says, wait a minute. I'm going to rescue the deer. Don't kill the deer. We'll take it. We'll take the deer upstate. Out of the city. We'll take it to upstate New York. And it's this whole back and forth and and aides for the mayor are on Twitter, you know, going back and forth with aides for the governor. And it's just a whole big freaking mess. Anyway, the mayor's office acquiesces and says, fine, you want to take the deer, we'll let you take the deer. In the middle of all of this, the deer dies. From what? From stress. The stress of everything or moving it or whatever it's about to be transported upstate and the deer drops dead. So now we have a dead deer and we have this, this whole situation of a mayor and a governor, one trying to one up the other. Don't kill it. I'll ride it on my white horse and I'll rescue it. And the fucking thing dies anyway. The fi- I'd like to think that the deer just killed itself because it couldn't put up with this shit anymore. So good on the deer. We don't have that luxury, <laughs> but the deer said, I'm checking out. And he offed himself. And you know what? I don't blame him. So that's that's what's been going on here all week in New York. This guy, uh, one spokesperson for the Parks Department, he just posted on Twitter uh, yesterday, the deer was not 
uh, euthanized. It died due to stress from the past 24 hours. Uh, then I see here in this article, there's another update. People were asking, like, what happens now to the deer? Can it be used for, like, deer meat? And it said, basically, uh, it says, generally, animal carcasses are handled by a vendor. Uh, but a city official tells us this deer cannot be used for venison because of the tranquilization drugs that were used. I guess the NYPD shot the deer with a tranquilizer when they captured it. And so you can't even use it for that purpose. I guess the carcass is just going to be, uh, whatever, discarded, burned, whatever. So yeah, that's been the story of New York. It was front page news on the newspapers yesterday, so you can kind of see how it's been a slow news cycle here. I think on the uh, on the one cover it said Deer Slayers, the Deer Slayers with pictures of the mayor and the governor, two morons sniping with each other, and in the meantime Bambi is dead. And you know, I knew this was going to happen. I knew the moment I first started seeing stories, oh the cute deer. There's a one antler deer roaming the park. You know, and I, as soon as I saw that I said I give it a week, this thing's going to turn up dead. I didn't think it would happen like this. This is an even better storyline than the one I figured would play out. I thought that somebody, you know, was going to do something to it or poison it or something. But as soon as I saw that it became a news story, hey, the deer is roaming around and we're not supposed to touch it. You got to leave it, let it roam around. I said, that fucking thing's going to turn up dead. It's only a matter of time. And sure enough, a few days later, Bambi is dead. Anyway, next Sunday will be the annual Christmas show, which actually falls on Christmas this year, Christmas Day. And I've gotten some questions, am I doing a show? It's Christmas. The answer is yes, I'm doing a show. So while many of you are waking up to gifts under the tree and spending time with family and what have you, I'll be right back here recording our final show of the year. And on that show, I will reveal my list of the top 10 matches, WWE. I gotta, I gotta kind of specify that here. The top 10 WWE matches of 2016, uh, including what I think is the match of the year in WWE overall for 2016. Uh, there was a lot of great wrestling this year, only so much room in the top 10, so it's not as easy as you may think. Uh, now keep in mind, this is a list that's covering Raw, SmackDown, NXT, and the Cruiserweight Classic. All of them are eligible to be uh, considered. And so we'll go through that match by match next week, uh, plus a look back at the uh, some of the biggest things to happen, kind of year in review, in a way, of uh, for 2016. My pick for Superstar of the Year, and all the usual news and reviews, that'll be episode 475, and then the week after that, episode 476, will come to you on New Year's Day, the first sound off of 2017, my 10th year doing this podcast. Uh, that'll be the annual prediction show. And I've, I've been pretty on point. Not perfect, but I've been pretty on point with uh, a number of my predictions in the past. So, what do I think the future holds for 2017? You'll find out then. Don't forget to keep voting in the Wrestling Radio Awards. The nomination period is open. You can write in Solomonster Sounds Off under the category of Show of the Year. You can write in my interview with Bob Holly. So you can just type in Bob Holly on Solid Monster Sounds Off where it says Male Interview of the Year. You can vote once a day, every day in each category. So bookmark that page, WrestlingRadioAwards.com. Go ahead and vote. And then tomorrow, vote again and get other people to vote. And then if we are fortunate enough to make the final cut and be nominated, then we go into the actual awards. 
and uh, that'll be a little bit tougher. But in the meantime, go ahead and vote WrestlingRadioAwards.com. You can follow me on Twitter, at Solomonster is my handle. Uh, I am planning on doing a post-roadblock uh, show tonight, no guarantees, but that is my plan. And so now would be a good time to go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube channel, YouTube.com slash TheSolomonster. You get a ton of content up there, bonus content. And uh, the roadblock review, if I do one, will be going up there uh, later tonight or early tomorrow morning. That'll go up there. And that about does it. I think I'm pretty much tapped out. It's a long show. There's a lot of stuff going on. It shouldn't be like this. It's the end of the year. It's supposed to be quiet. We'll be back with episode 475 next weekend, the Christmas show. Until then, be well, stay safe, have yourselves a great week, and we will be back next weekend, as always, with more sound off. Until then, take care, guys. The good, the bad, and the ugly. The Solomonster sounds off. This Impact show has moved so many times. It's got more fucking moves than Bruno Mars this show does. Don't believe me, just watch. Impact started out on Friday, then moved to Saturday, Thursday, then they moved it to Monday. They got slaughtered, so they moved it back to Thursday, then they moved it to Wednesday, Friday again, then back to Wednesday, Tuesday, and now back to Thursday. It's like the big show of TV shows. It's turned a thousand times already, and the only time people pay any attention to it is when it makes them laugh. Since 2007, The Solomonster Sounds Off. Available at thesolomonster.com, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, iTunes, and more. Solo Monster Sound Off.